Yeah, I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, I don't that feel nice, man. I love your brother, black man, and chase your dreams, black man. And get that cream, black man, we the original man. Being in love with boxing is like being in love with a woman. She can be unfaithful, she can be mean, she can be cruel, but it doesn't matter. If you love her, you want her, even though she can do you all kinds of harm. It's the same with me in boxing. It can do me all kinds of harm, but I love it. Floyd Patterson on boxing. This is Iron Mike Stedman, and you're listening to Confessions of a Native Son, a black veteran's perspectives on race, culture, and business. As many of you know, I love boxing. It's been my anchor most of my adult life, and I have a unique relationship with the sport that runs deep and eventually led me to Newark, New Jersey to start my own free boxing gym, the Ironbound Boxing Academy. In the following episode, I open up about why I love boxing so much and the events that led up to my first national championship during my sophomore year of college when my mom suffered a life-altering hemorrhagic stroke. I've been waiting to record this episode for a while, but anytime I open up about my personal life and monologues, the episodes are a lot more challenging for me. To be honest, solo episodes are the real meat and potatoes of this show, as they shed light into my psyche, and I consider them to be my most important content. This episode comes at an important time in my life, where I'm forced to remind myself why I started Ironbound Boxing in the first place. Dealing with the constant ebbs and flow of running a free boxing program for youth in Newark challenges me to my core. Don't get me wrong, I'm blessed. Our kids are well taken care of and we're creating amazing impact in the inner city. But even with all our success, I find myself struggling to be present and live in the moment and appreciating where we are now and how far it took for us to get here. This episode is a reminder to myself and a love letter to the sport that gave me so much. Today's show is brought to you by Ironbound Boxing, my nonprofit organization in Newark, New Jersey, that provides free amateur boxing training, entrepreneur education, and employment opportunities to youth and young adults in Newark, New Jersey. You can support the cause today by visiting www.ironboundboxing.org and making a donation. I'd also like to acknowledge Dope Coffee, a lifestyle brand that pairs urban black culture with innovative product offerings in the coffee industry. We're not a coffee brand for black people. We're a coffee brand that seeks to elevate black culture through a lifestyle of premium coffee and candid conversation. Head over to www.realdope.coffee to place your order today. As always, I want you to know that I appreciate you for sharing your time with me, and I hope you enjoy the following show. And we are live. What's going on, everyone? As always, thanks for tuning in to another edition of my show. I'm fired up about today's episode because this is an episode I've been wanting to do a while, but I found myself avoiding it. For those of you that have been longtime listeners of the show, um, you'll know in the first season, I really spent a lot more time getting deep and personal, um, pulling back the curtain on my own life and, uh, you know, doing a lot of solo episodes. And I will tell you, you know, as I've gotten older and you know, um, busier, you know, these solo episodes force me to go to a place I don't always want to go. And so I find myself procrastinating, procrastinating, putting them off, putting them off, putting them off. 
But, uh, you know, one thing I'll tell you is I really do love this platform and it just takes so much work to be a content creator. It's not all sunshine and rainbows on the back end. You know, you've really got to be intentional with your time. And, you know, I'm always trying to get in like the right mindset to talk about some of this like deeply personal stuff to such a, a wide audience. Um, and sometimes I find myself running from it, but not today. Today, I'm ready to really lean in and uh, talk about, you know, boxing and, and really, you know, why I love it. And I would like to view this episode as almost like a, a love letter to the sport for all the stuff that it's done for me and that it continues to do for me. And it couldn't come at a more important time, you know, because uh, at Ironbound Boxing, we're on our way to approaching a inflection point where we're going to be able to really create a long lasting impact here in the city of Newark and God willing across the country. And uh, in order to do that, I realized I need to revisit my core. You know, why is it I do what I do? You know, what is it about boxing that, that makes me love it so much? And so, you know, I figured this would be a great way to start that process by just, you know, getting vulnerable once again on the podcast. So what I'm, I'm going to do, I guess, is go ahead and jump right in. And, uh, you know, for those of you that that follow me, that know about my background, you'll know that I'm a three-time national boxing champion, two-time most viable boxer, captain of my boxing team at the United States Naval Academy, you know, entrepreneur with just tons of accolades around boxing. But uh, what a lot of people don't know, and I don't know if I've ever said it publicly, but, you know, my confession is that my success inside the the amateur boxing ring and even outside of it um, was mainly fueled by me dealing with my mom's stroke while I was at the Naval Academy. Um, as a young black man of color, I'll tell you, um, as not of color, just as a young black man, you know, I'll tell you, you know, I really, I really, really leaned on the boxing to help me get through that. At the time, you know, I was a sophomore at the Naval Academy. My mom had a stroke and, you know, it's crazy because, you know, I like to think about it as like, we always set these, you know, BHAGs in our lives, these big, hairy, audacious goals. And I had a whole nother battle, you know, just getting to the Naval Academy, fighting tooth and nail. You know, my mom driving me to meet with my blue and gold officer. She's driving me to Houston, you know, to go to the, the service academy events. You know, we're just hustling and networking our butts off to, you know, really learn any and everything about the Naval Academy because, you know, we set this BHAG that I was going to be able to go to the academy. And so, you know, when I think about like my high school years, right, it was really focused around getting into the Naval Academy because it was such a, a daunting goal. And one of the things that really hurt me, you know, when my mom had that stroke was, you know, it was the first time in my life I realized that the finish line once I got to the finish line of whatever success is, whatever I got to pinnacle, whatever success is, the reality of what that success looked like, would look like was different from what I envisioned in my mind, you know? And the idea that I was going to have to go through this journey, you know, I was only in my second semester at the Naval Academy that I was going to have to go through this journey of graduating from one of the hardest schools in the country, um, having to go to serve in the military afterwards, and really just like, I felt like I was still like growing up, obviously, and that I was going to have to do it with a mom that was disabled and I had no control over it. And in addition to that, you know, I would have to leave her in a nursing home, originally in the hospital, um, to go back to the Naval Academy to continue my education while dealing with the fact that, you know, the woman who raised me, you know, the only parent I've ever really known, um, was was going to be, you know, disabled for it and was going to be fighting for her life. And so, you know, 
I took all of that emotion and that energy and just everything. And I just felt so helpless. But the only place I didn't necessarily feel helpless was inside the boxing, in the inside of a boxing gym, inside of a boxing ring. And so I, I poured into it. And so, you know, that's my commit. That's my confession is that, you know, my, my success inside the ring was a direct result of me dealing with my mother's stroke. And one of the reasons I didn't like talking about that stuff publicly is because it, it's not exactly like, I don't know, happy go lucky. You know what I mean? Like I never wanted to use it as like a crutch. Now my teammates and everybody kind of knew what I was dealing with, but I, uh, you know, when it came time to go public, you know, I don't, I don't ever remember myself really talking about it. And it's crazy because as I got older and then I've become an entrepreneur and this was a new opportunity for all kind of like PR and stories about what we've done with Ironbound Boxing and et cetera. I've never really made it about me in that background. You know, I've told my story of like coming to Newark and really want to create a space for kids in the gym, but I've never really told about like my, my personal background of like dealing with mom's stroke. Now, more so this year, I think I've hinted at it a little bit, maybe on some podcasts. Um, but like, again, like in terms of like the public facing like Iron Mike Stedman, right? Like I don't, I don't talk about my mom's stroke. Um, cause be honest, I'm still dealing with it. You know, it's like one of those things that kind of never goes away. Um, you know, she had a stroke. Um, in 2008, it left her paralyzed on the left side of her body. And uh, initially when she had it, we didn't know if she was going to make it. Um, you know, doctors talked to me and my family about potentially pulling the plug because she was in a coma at the time. And uh, we were told she could potentially be in a vegetative state the rest of her life. Um, and I was forced in that moment, you know, the Naval Academy gave me the option to essentially stay in the hospital with her, um, and stay back, stay back at home to kind of deal with that situation. Um, you know, had to take the semester off. But at the time I'll tell you, man, it was like, we had fought so hard just to get me to the Naval Academy. And I knew like that she would want me to finish. And so I had to make the difficult decision of leaving her there, you know, inside the ICU while I went back to the Naval Academy. And, uh, that took me on a journey that led to my first, uh, national championship. So I'm going to be, you know, kind of revisiting, you know, all of that, um, on this show, on this episode, you know, so, uh, hope y'all bear with me. And, uh, you know, as I start to revisit some of this stuff, this ongoing stuff. So I, I'll tell you one of the first things I want to start, one of the first places I want to start is like before boxing and it really just kind of set the stage is that like, you know, when I was growing up, I was bullied pretty heavily as a kid, you know, and it's funny because especially for us as black people, and I can kind of see this in like the black conservative movement, right? Like I can't speak for everyone, but I know what it's like to grow up when people say you talk like a white boy, you know, or you don't fit in with us, you know? And I know what it's like to, to go through hell, uh, attending like a black school and people don't necessarily look at you like you're black. And I'm talking about everything from like, physical assaults, you know, verbal assaults. I mean, just really, just really hard stuff growing up. And my childhood was filled with a bunch of that. And it's like, we never really had money growing up. Um, not a lot of money. Like we were like the working poor, you know, like I didn't even know that was a thing until like, you know, I started becoming more uh, educated. Right. But like growing up, you know, we would be we would get, my mom would get paid. We would literally be at the ATM at like 12 o'clock midnight so that uh, we could have food, you know, because she would have no money. 
And I kind of think about that now of like me only being 34, but like I could never imagine being at the point of where like I don't have any money in my bank account that I can't like feed myself. And the fact that like we were in a position where like we had to feed ourselves, she didn't have to just feed herself. She had to feed me and my sister. Um, and so, you know, it's just kind of interesting when you start to really kind of think about that and just kind of puts things into perspective about, you know, what was going on behind the scenes of your life that was like not even going behind the scenes that was hidden in plain sight that you may or may not have directly understood. Um, growing up, you know, we were, I was raised between two places, East Texas and Bryan, Texas. You know, East Texas was where my grandma was, was where my mom was born, where I was born. But uh, my mom was an educator. Um, and she was, she dealt with a special education and she ended up getting a, a position in uh, Bryan, Texas, home of Texas A&M. And so uh, we initially left Tyler to move to Bryan, right? And then we left Bryan, moved back to Tyler, and then eventually we moved back to Bryan. And so I, I went back and forth between like, you know, a black middle school, right? Black childcare, you know? Then you go to Bryan and then it's like, all of a sudden I'm in like a white school, you know? And then I go back to Tyler and I was in another white school. And then I tried to go to... um uh, you know, I want to be around black people. Um, because again, I was like, I don't know what it was, man. I was just bullied everywhere I went, you know, black people, you talk like a white boy, all that kind of stuff, you know, white people mean, right. I mean, I'm just being honest, right? Like childhood was, was not the nicest to me. Um, I was overweight, right. I wasn't much of an athlete. Um, and so I was like prime time to get, to get bullied. And I just never really fit it in. And, uh, I don't know if that's like, affected me later on in life, you know, as I adopt this like Ronin mindset, but it's one of the things that I've just kind of always struggled with. And the reason I bring it up with regards to, you know, how it relates to boxing is because, you know, people ask me in interviews all the time. They're like, what led you to first the Naval Academy and what led you to be a boxer? And one of the stories I tell is that, you know, when I was in high school, right. And I decided I want to go to the military because a friend of mine was going to the military and our, our moms were close and uh, again, not having a father figure growing up, you know, this friend, his name was Jason McKinley. Um, I looked up to him. He was like a big brother, father figure. And so when he was graduating high school, he was a senior when I was a freshman. Um, he was going to the military. He joined the army. So I was like, I'll go to the military. But my mom was like, no, no, you're going to go to the Naval Academy. Not Naval Academy. You're going go to go. She wanted me to go to college. And so that led me down a path towards looking at ROTC, et cetera. But I'll tell you, man. Um, looking at those posters, right? Like, you know, you ever see that poster, like the Marine, he's got the camo on his face, or you see the poster of a Navy SEAL or a Ranger, just these really, really tough looking guys, right? They kind of had this confidence that I never had, right? Like I never, no one, you know, if you're not a star athlete, right? And you're young and you're black, like nobody's telling you how great you are or that the sky's the limit and all this other stuff, you know, you just kind of, you know, you're just kind of in the shadows, right? Like nobody's patting you on the back. I, I didn't have a lot of small wins, didn't have a girlfriend, didn't have all this kind of stuff. So I didn't have the most confident. But when I looked in those posters, those military posters, and I saw like that Navy SEAL, that Marine, I was like, I want what those guys have, you know? And eventually that led me down a pathway that that got to the Naval Academy. Um, and it's funny, like in high school, I did end up picking up a sport. I played basketball, you know, uh, pretty much all four years, but I was like never a starter. You know, if we weren't up by like 30 points and there was, you know, less than two minutes in the game, like I wasn't getting in, right? Like I would get in the game, the buzzer would ring, the buzzer would ring and I, that was it. The game was over. 
Um, but one of the things I did enjoy about that was like the team bonding, you know, um, I did kind of find my space within like the basketball team. But again, it was like, again, I wasn't getting no girls. I wasn't a star athlete. I was a part of the team, though, and I did have friends. But, um, you know, still the bullying was always, always there. Um, and I never really got to shine. But when I got to the Naval Academy, I told myself, I was like, oh, you know, I want to uh, I want to do a team sport. And I knew that uh, the Navy took walk ons. The Naval Academy had walk ons. And so I looked at some of the sports that they could do that I could do. And uh, one of the sports that took walk ons was a uh, crew. And uh, I know I ain't no shit about crew. I just was like, hey, this doesn't look too bad. Boats on the water. I was like, that's kind of cool. And then like it's funny, right? I've never been the best inside the classroom that I've like, I've never had the best grades or anything, but that's never stopped me from like being aspirational with regards to like who I want to surround myself around. And I know one thing was that like the crew team was like known for having like really good grades and these guys were being sharp, like just being really sharp. And I was like, again, that's what I want. So, you know, I'm at the Naval Academy. We're going through a little plebe summer. And one of the things we had to do was we all had to pick a sport. And so I, I chose crew. And so what I didn't know at the time was that the crew field house was like a two mile run every day just to get there. And this was before like CrossFit. This was before, um, you know, like, again, CrossFit blew up and everybody knew what an erg was. This was like 2006. And so, um, you know, was it 2006? Yeah, it was 2006. Right. So I'm running to the crew house. I get there. I'm thinking I'm about to jump on these boats and swim on the, and uh, row on the water. And all it is, is this like room with like, we're going to just like pull these ergs, right? Until you like basically puke. And I was like the only black person in there. There might've been like one or two other of us as, as like plebes, but it was a very white space. But uh, I was found myself disappointed because I, here I am thinking we're going to get on the water and I'll be in boats rowing. And I'm like, just pulling on this stupid erg. And after about two days of like running out there, I was like, okay, this is stupid. I don't want to do this. And a friend of mine from the Naval Academy prep school named Alexander Kovalenko had been going to boxing. Now it was only like, again, we'd only been doing sports period for like two or three days at this point. And I was telling Kovalenko that a uh, crew was whack and I didn't want to do it no more. He's like, bro, you should come to boxing, man. Blood, sweat, and tears, grit, all this kind of stuff. Almost like he'd been boxing his whole life, even though he'd only been in class like two or three days. But to his defense, I think Kovalenko was like Ukrainian. So he might have done some stuff like in a previous uh, life, you know. Um, so I was like, and it was the last day we had before like whatever sport we picked, we had to stick through the rest of the sleep summer. Because the way it worked is, you know, you would have basically like a week to try all these different sports. And then you had to pick the one, pick one, and then you would have to stick to it basically throughout sleep summer. And so I did, you know, I go to boxing that one day and what got me right was I go in the gym first day, head coach there, Jim McNally, uh, one of my mentors till this day, I have nothing but love for Jim and his, the whole McNally family. But the first day you walk into that gym, coach McNally taught us a couple punches, taught us how to throw a jab, a right cross, taught us how to protect ourselves. And then he said, find a partner. You're going to spar three minute. Three one-minute rounds each. And all the midshipmen officers are looking around like, what the heck? Like, what do you mean we're going to spar? We just came in here. You, We just taught us like three punches, and now you expect us to spar. And I think at the time, like, that was his way of weeding out the people who wanted to be there. There's just something about boxing and getting punched in the face that makes it real. So I found this dude. Me and him partnered up. And uh, 
we set, you know, they set the timer and we did three one minute rounds. I was terrified, right? I mean, I was like gassed. I was nervous. I was super anxious. It went by in a second, right? Because it's like, it's your first time doing something like that. You're in like that fight or flight mode. And, uh, you know, after the time was up, it just dawned on me. It was like, man, like, this is what people do. Like for a living, there are people that like live and breathe inside of a boxing ring that they can box like it's pickup basketball, right? And I was like, I want that. Like, I want that feeling of, of gloving up, right? Setting a timer and feeling like I'm in control and that I'm not afraid, you know? And I realized like, that's what initially drew me in the boxing. And I think back to like that description I gave about, you know, the, uh, the veterans or sorry, not the veterans, but the posters of like the Navy SEAL or the Marine or, you know, the pilot, right? Like I wanted what they had, like, just like I wanted what a boxer had, right? Like, you know, we've all grown up to the movies of like Rocky where he gets dropped down, he's bleeding all over himself and he like picks himself up all the cam off the canvas. And I think deep down, like all of us kind of wonder if we have what it takes, you know, to kind of rise to the occasion in that moment. And I've always kind of felt like I had what it takes. I just never had an opportunity to really prove it to myself or prove it to others. And so I was like, I've really dig this. I want to love boxing. I want to, I'm going to, going to box. So the way it worked over the summer was once we picked that sport, you know, we would train essentially for the next like three to four weeks on boxing. We had sports period every day as part of our plebe summer, like the little Naval Academy boot camp. And it was going to culminate, which would become uh, this plebe smoker, which is like uh, basically it's a boxing exhibition of all the midshipmen that are participating in boxing over the summer. Coach McNally would match people up based, based on skill level. And then this was like a showcase for your classmates. And so um, the whole time we're training, right, I'm learning stuff, you know, and the fact that like I kind of looked like an athlete, even though I wasn't much of an athlete. So, you know, the whole time I was at the Naval Academy, I get stopped by midshipmen or every time I did something wrong, people would try to correct me and let me know that like, oh, just because I'm a football player or et cetera, et cetera. And I would always have to remind them that like I wasn't a football player. I wasn't a recruited athlete. I was there because I wanted to serve my country. And uh, we can talk about that on a whole other episode. But, uh, you know, I, I, I guess I look somewhat tough, right? Relatively. But there was a guy in there by the name of Timothy Green. All right. And Tim was a freaking beast, right? Just cut up from the floor, ripped. And as far as we're concerned, he was like the Mike Tyson of Plebe Summer. And this was a white guy from Texas, had a thick Texas accent. But even in his little, you know, three one-minute rounds, he was straight up knocking people out, right? Every time people sparred Tim, um, they were bloodied up. He had boxed in high school. His dad was like a Navy officer. And so um, Tim had grown up, you know, basically training inside gyms. And there was another buddy of mine, uh, my co who had gone to be my co-captain and a future Navy SEAL by the name of Ruben Zweibin. And uh, it's funny, Tim and Ruben were both Jewish and they were both, they both had boxing experience. So they were like light years ahead of us. So Ruben was like a smaller version of Tim, right? A lot slicker, right? Cooler. He was just, he just was cool, right? Everything about his style was cool. And uh, Tim, again, was like Mike Tyson, just violent, right? And so as Coach McNally is getting ready to match people up for the smoker, right? Clearly there's no one in there that can box Tim. It's just not happening, right? He's just crushing people, you know, damn near killing people inside the ring. And, you know, the world looks different when you're like isolated at the Naval Academy. You're in this little bubble. You ain't like you're watching TV. So again, literally Tim was like our Mike Tyson that plebe summer. And for me, right, like I've always just fucking 
throwing myself at risk. I was talking to my buddy about it the other day. I was like, I don't know why I keep like just going after the most hardest of things. But I knew for me, right, like I wanted to box in the plebe summer smoker. You know, I wanted my classmates to see what I got and I wanted to see what I had. And I felt like the only way I could do it was by boxing Tim. And uh, I had approached Coach McNally and I said, I want to box Tim Green in the smoker. And Coach McNally was like, what do you mean you want to box him? He's like, who do you think you are? Tyrese referencing, the, uh, you know, the uh, Annapolis movie. And I was like, yeah, I want to fight him. And he's like, all right, how about this? He's like, I'll let you spar him. If you can hold your own, I'll put you two in the smoker. All right. So I climbed in the ring, nervous and scared as hell. I got in there and uh, we, Tim and I did like three, one in a, one in a minute and a half rounds. I was gassed. I was exhausted, but I was able to hold my own. Um, and so Coach Manal was like, all right, I'll put you in the smoker. So fast forward like a week. And it's like, it's funny because like at the Naval, I believe summer is like coronavirus time, right? Like a week feels like freaking months. But fast forward a week, right? It's the day of the smoker. Because all of us are fighting, right? At Plebe Summer, like there was like this morning PT that you had to do. And we always had to like chop around the hallways, which is just like a way of running. And it's like the way you have, you basically, when you're a plebe at the Naval Academy, you have to run everywhere. You have to, you know, do these high, high knees running everywhere. And uh, they let me not do that because I was fighting. We got to have a nice like pre-fight dinner um, prior to it, like all the fighters and everything. So like, and there was all this hype around the smoker because there's just something you know, you're kind of seeing it now in this like YouTube age, right? With like all these YouTube boxers coming out. But there was just this energy around like fight night. You get what I'm saying, right? Like everyone was just fired up about it. You know, they told, you know, my fellow company mates, those that were going to, you know, plebe summer with me to make posters and to make signs and all this different stuff. And uh, um, to make, yeah, make posters, make signs, make all this different stuff. And so like the day of the fight, everybody's coming up to me is like, man, we heard your fight green. You're going to crush him. He's like, you ready for tonight? You know? And uh, I'm trying to play the tough guy thing. Like I'm not scared out of my life. Right. I'm dealing with all this anxiousness and anxiety and all that stuff that comes from it. Um, but I'm just trying to act like super confident. Right. I'm not like really talking. I'm not talking shit or anything, but I'm just like, I'm scared. I'm terrified inside. Um, and uh, the day, the night comes, right. I get my gear. Uh, my uniform, which is this beautiful, like Navy boxing uniform um, that it just, it just felt, it felt great, you know? And, uh, you know, I get to the smoker and I'm watching these first couple of fights and dudes are just slugging it out, fucking blood everywhere. You know, guys are just going, you know, fight tooth and nail, you know, the, the atmosphere is crazy. The plebes are going crazy. You've got your company commander there, right? You've got all the military officers. You've got the superintendent. Literally, like, the entire Naval Academy is watching this smoker, right? And I'm just watching these guys fight their asses off. And I'll never forget, man, one of my classmates comes up to me. He's like, hey, Mike, you want us to make you a tunnel when you walk into the ring? And I'm just like, I didn't respond. I just kind of looked tough. But they were all like, oh, he's tough, man. He's psyched up. He's psyched up. He's not even speaking. So they make the tunnel. I don't know if they made it or not, but they had signs, whatever. Maybe they made the tunnel. And I go in the ring, right? Coach McNally like introduces us, both our companies, like boxing out of 15 company, boxing out of 14 company, which by the way, was literally right below Fort 15th company. Um, and Tim would go on to be like a neighbor. I would go see like all the time. And uh, when they announced us, you know, like the fucking place went wild, you know, cause now you're getting into the heavier weights at the time. We we're both like 175. That's where we we're boxing at. 
So this is a lot different than, you know, like the one, you know, 25 pounder. So like people know that he can crack. And so everybody's fired up about it. So, you know, coach, you know, introduces us. Then they ring the bell and I walk out to the center ring. I throw fucking one punch and I freeze. Right. I throw one punch and I was terrified. And next thing I know, Tim starts welling on me and I fall back to the corner and he just throws like he just starts teeing off on me. Right. And literally, I don't know how long the fight could have been more than like 30 seconds. Right. I'm just kind of in the corner curled up and Tim is unloading on me and Coach McNally like weighs it off. And I just remember the dead silence in the arena. And everyone is like, what the heck? You know? And at the time for me, it was like, I just froze. I was scared. I was terrified. And uh, everyone was just in shock because it's one of those things like, did something happen? Why they stopped the fight? And for anybody that can understand like the military, right? Especially when, you know, we come into plebe summer and we're talking about, we want to be Marines. We want to be Navy SEALs, right? Like no one wants to be viewed as a coward or no one wants to be viewed as not tough. You understand what I'm saying? And in that moment, in my first instance in front of like the entire Naval Academy class, the, the, the superintendent, the commandant, everything, I fucking choked in front of everyone, right? And I remember coming out of the ring and everyone is just kind of looking at me like, it's all right, bud, you know, you'd be all right. But I remember being so embarrassed that I wanted to go like hide under a rock. And I, I snuck past everyone. I went out the back of the, the arena I think it was Halsey at the time. And uh, I just kind of sat out back of Halsey and I just fucking bawled my, eyes up, my, my, bawled my eyes out because I was so embarrassed. I was so ashamed of myself. The fact that I was a fucking coward and God forbid a pussy, right? Um, and that there was nowhere to hide from it. And that like all my classmates, like these people I'm just starting to get to know that I'm going to be writ be with the next four years and I'm going to go into the military with, this is going to be their image of me. And I was like out back, just fucking bawling my eyes out um, by myself. And when I went back into the arena, you know, it was like people gave it some time, right? Like they, I guess the cadre had told them like, Hey, you know, take it easy on Stedman. That was tough, whatever. Um, and the other thing was my company commander was black, was a black guy. And as I told you, it's like a black male. You never want to let down like another black male, especially when I was like, you know, looking for a father figure in that atmosphere. And then now that my company commander is looking at me, he's like, what the heck happened? You know? Um, and so it was just, it was just embarrassing. So the cadre were like, hey, we're going to give Stedman, uh, you know, take it easy on Stedman. They told, this we told my peers. So literally the next day I'm in the plebe summer. All my peers fucking think I'm a coward. They think I'm not tough. Right. And now I'm like fucking depressed because I got stopped in like 30 seconds in front of the entire class. So um, fast forward, end up going to the boxing gym and was just like, I'm still going to box, you know? Um, and the next, the next criteria for me was like, you know, I'd already done the summer boxing, so I didn't have to take the boxing class at the Naval Academy, which was a requirement for everyone. But I did decide to continue boxing as a sport. And one of the things I figured like right off the bat was, one of the big events of the Naval Academy is this brigade boxing championships, which is where like all the boxers on the, the, everybody has this opportunity to box in brigade boxing championships. It's a, it's a, like a, it's during the month of February. It's like a three to four week tournament. And at the end of February, everyone box for the number one spot on the Navy boxing team to essentially compete at nationals and represent the Naval Academy 
at the National Collegiate Boxing Association National Championships. And this is what the movie was based on. It was based on the Brigade Boxing Championships. It's a brand within itself at the Naval Academy. It was like a big deal at the time. And I figured that the only way I could redeem myself was to compete against Tim in the Brigade Boxing Championships. And so um, I set I set out with that in mind, right? The entire year, right? I'm taking jokes from people, right? People are like, you know, what happened in the smoker? They're like, don't make me, you know, don't make me get out the boxing gloves. Like all this shit I wanted to avoid from like my early childhood, you know, now was kind of starting to, this is different, right? Because it's midshipmen. So midshipmen aren't like, can be a little nerdy, but it was still this sense of like, you know, damn, Mike's not tough, whatever. So what I did that entire year, man, I fucking trained my ass off, right? I was a, I was living inside that boxing gym, living, breathing, fucking just, you know, training as hard as I could. When I went home that first year, and this is all freshman year, when I went home, you know, uh, freshman year for uh, Christmas break and Thanksgiving break, you know, I found a little boxing gym in my hometown, Bryan, Texas, little Mexican run boxing gym, and I got in there and trained. And it was so mind-blowing to my friends from back in high school. You know, when I came home and I told them I was boxing, they were like, what? You're boxing? Get the hell out of here. You know, one of my boys, John, decided to go with me to the gym one day to watch. And he saw me spar. He saw me hit the bag, whatever. But they just still couldn't believe it. So I come back to the Naval Academy. And the thing, too, was like when you're an interim real boxer, right? When you box, we tell people to box. The thing that they ask you at the Naval Academy is like, are you on the club team? And the club team is like the intercollegiate boxing team that like travels around um, that travels up and down the East coast competing against, you know, other schools, university of Pennsylvania. I mean, not sorry, Penn state, uh, university of Nevada, Reno, university of Maryland, like all these different schools within the NCBA. And so I was like, yeah, man, um, I wasn't on a club team, but that was one of my goals would be able to make the club team. Cause it was like, you just, you felt invalidated if you weren't a member of the club team, right? Like people didn't take you serious. And, you know, Tim, after he kicked my ass in the smoker, right, he was put on the club team right away. So he was already traveling and competing. Um, and just, to, I'm just trying to set the tones. Like for us at Plebes, these were like big deals, right? This was like, you know, like I, I fucking want to be on the club boxing team. And the club boxing team looked like damn near superheroes in our eyes at the time. And, you know, here was Tim and my boy Trey that joined the team like right away, you know, and the rest of us were kind of looked at as scrubs until we were on the team. So finally, one day, you know, I'm in there hitting the bag and Coach Manali comes in. He's like, hey, we're getting you a book. I was like, give me a book. He's like, yeah, your USA Boxing Registration. And essentially, that was his way of telling me I had made the club team. And I just remember freaking like I had my uh, squad leader, you know, because um, they had us broken into squads at the Naval Academy and everything. And I remember telling everybody I, had, I made club and uh, I got some congratulations, everything. It was a big deal. So fast forward, you know, Brigade Boxing Championship time comes. Right. And it always came right after Christmas break. So it's like first semester, you're in the gym, you're training. Second semester, the first half of second semester was devoted to brigades. And then the last half of the semester was voted to, you know, training for national uh, regionals and nationals. So I come back from Christmas break. I've been watching the Vander Holyfield, Riddick Bow, and uh, Holyfield just became my like favorite boxer. I'm like eating up all his old videos. So I come back from Christmas break with a shaved head ready to get after it in the brigade boxing championships. Cause I'm like, this is my opportunity to like redeem myself in the eyes of like my peers. Right. And, uh, I ended up making it through the first round. Right. And the second round, I was supposed to be matched up with Tim green, but Tim was at an, he was at, he was competing against West point. 
uh, United States Military Academy and had thrown out his shoulder. And so I actually never got to fight Tim, right? Basically because he was injured, he couldn't fight me in the quarterfinal, in the semifinals. And so I went straight to the finals of the Brigade Boxing Championship. Um, and I had to fight a guy named Dmitry Chavetz, which again, he was like a junior at the time, was from the Ukraine, had freaking fought in the finals as like a freshman, had boxed in college. I mean, had boxed prior to come into the academy to the point he couldn't even compete as a club boxer because he had to get a waiver. So as far as our eyes, like Chavez was a fucking monster. And the last thing I had imagined was like making it to the finals. Like I just wanted to kind of fight Tim again. And like, I wanted to go out and, uh, you know, just look good and basically redeem myself. And I'll tell you, even in my quarterfinal bout, the one I won, people were like, holy shit, man, Stedman got fast as shit. I don't have the video anymore, but I remember I had one of my classmates filming it. And I remember in the oohs and ahs, right? Like hearing people, you know, with my boxing. But it was like, everybody knew what had, what Tim had done to me, you know, how he embarrassed me in the smoker. So when I didn't get to fight Tim, it was just like, oh my God, now I'm in the finals. And it was like this second guessing myself, right? Like, who am I to be fighting in the finals, you know? And it was also this sense of like the, the imposter syndrome of like, I'm the only thing standing between Chevette's and the Brigade Boxing Championship. Right. Like me, my first year boxing against this dude that's been boxing since, you know, God knows when. Um, but I, I sucked it up, man. And like I had managed to like get past the point. Like I was always scared. I was always terrified. Right. But I had learned to like not let the fear necessarily control me. And I got in the ring and I fucking fought Chevette and I fought my heart out and I didn't win. Right. But it was one of those things of like my classmates were proud of me. People were proud of me. They're patting me on the back. And then more importantly, I feel like I had positioned myself within like the Navy boxing um, community, like the alumni network, et cetera, you know, um, because I, I've always been just so impressionable. I don't know what it is. It's like when I see someone that is doing something I want to do, like they become a superhero in my eyes. And I know like the first time I met the captain of the boxing team uh, at Navy, my freshman year, his name was Dan Leahy. I was like, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be captain of the Navy boxing team, right? So I finished brigades. I end up going out to nationals that year and I end up um, competing in nationals because Chevette's couldn't go because he had too much experience coming into college. So they didn't let him box in the collegiate circuit. So I went in instead. I went to regionals. You know, I ended up winning regionals. I took second. I took runner up in regionals. I ended up losing to a guy named Sam Greenwood, which is for another story. Um, long story short, I'll tell you about Sam. Sam beat me five times before I beat him six which was in the national championship. Um, but, uh, and then my, my junior year, but I ended up losing to Sam at regionals. I was still number two. So I still got to go to nationals and I went to nationals, lost in the quarterfinals to a, a guy from the coast guard Academy. And, uh, there was a wrap, right? So I ended up losing to him and I was knocked out of the nationals, um, right off the bat, but I will never forget this. Our assistant coach, uh, a guy named Jim Searing, right? The night of the national championships, there is a, uh, the night of the national championships, they do what's called a walk of champions. And this is where all of those who've made it to the finals, they basically play Rocky music um, the night before, and they all will make their way to the ring. And then in the middle of the ring, it's the, I think it's the night of actually final, sorry. They walk right before the final starts. They do the walk of champions. You know, the opponents walk across the ring. They, they touch each other, you know, shake each other's hands, et cetera. And they go through that for all the fights that are taking place that night. 
And I never forget, man, my assistant boxing coach, Jim Searing, looked, Jim Searing looked at me and said, that's going to be you next year. Right? He's like, you're going to be in that ring. And that just resonated with me. It really hit me hard. So I ended up coming back from nationals, even though I didn't win. It was still a good experience to see as a freshman to just kind of experience the camaraderie and like the competition of and understanding what it what it was going to take to get to the next level. And I just remember coming back and being like, I want to be a national champ. You know, that summer on leave, I ended up going back home to Texas, started training at that gym again, you know, and I just kind of set my ambitions on like being this national champion. I want to bring a national championship, you know, back to Brian. I wanted to experience that, the feeling of holding that belt. And granted, I was like still within my first year of boxing, but uh, it was something I wanted to do. So I ended up going back to, uh, you know, I ended up doing my summer training, which was a requirement for office of the Navy. I end up, uh, you know, again, training that gym. And then I come back to start my sophomore year at the Naval Academy. And I've just got this fucking mindset that like, I'm going to be a national champ. As soon as I walked in the gym, I started telling about I was going to be a national champ that year. And uh, I just started like getting after it, start training, right? Coach put me on the circuit. I started competing, boxing against West Point, beat them. You know, started boxing against some other schools. I think it was like West Point. Um, I went to Detroit, which is a big show. Um, I think I boxed Air Force, right? There was all these other schools I boxed, um, but I did all right. Like I was holding my own. I won. I've only lost, like the only fights I've lost at the Naval Academy <coughs> were the Chevettes in the uh, brigade finals. I had lost to uh, this guy named Travis Comar twice. He beat me at... <coughs> He originally beat me at um, at the quarterfinals. He beat me from Coast Guard Academy. And then uh, Sam Greenwood, who was uh, from the Citadel. Excuse me. <coughs> mm. But uh, so I don't, I don't remember exactly everyone I fought, but I just remember I, I ran the circuit and I fought, right? Just first half of that semester was just like exhibitions, club shows, really getting on the road and representing the Navy boxing team. So then end of the semester comes up, I go home, spend time with my mom, spend time, uh, you know, with my family for Christmas. And in my mind, right, like I'm focused on Chevette's. Okay. So it's like, I'm going to come back from Christmas break. I'm going to fight Chevette's um, and I'm going to win the brigade boxing championship. Cause I wanted to get, I wanted, I wanted that get back at Chevette's. And I'll tell you that whole semester, right. We would be in the gym sparring. And me and Chevette's sparring sessions started to get like really heated. I used to have all these old videos on my Facebook that I deleted a while back. But man, it would be like the bell would ring and me and Chevette's are still going at it. Right. And I think it was just something personal to me about like rising to that occasion. All right. I just wanted, I wanted to fucking beat him so bad. So I come back from Christmas break after spending that time down there with my mom. And uh, I just remember, man, she was so proud of me, you know, just being a, and I think about that now, right? Like even still, right? Like it's so hard raising kids these days. And I can only imagine raising a young black kid in a, you know, as a single mom with so many of us getting lost to the streets and lost to so much BS and nonsense. And so be able to go back and, you know, all her suffering and all the sacrifices she made felt like they were paying, they had paid off, you know? Um, and she would just like, she was just, she, she bragged about me. You know, she talked about me to everyone, right? Like, um, she was, I was really, you know, I was really a, uh, I don't know, like her proudest achievement, you know? Um, my sister as well, both of us, you know, my sister ended up going to 
college at uh, University of Texas, graduating, and eventually going to get her master's. Um, but this was, I think this was after my mom had her stroke. But, you know, um, yeah, you just kind of go back into this environment. And there's so many black males, young black males that just haven't amounted to much. And so to be able to come back and represent her and everything that she, you know, instilled in us was 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 powerful, especially in the local community with the teachers and everything, her coworkers, et cetera. So I come back from Christmas break. And one day, it was like two weeks after Christmas break. I mean, I decided to like skip practice one day, right? Like, I just think I was like tired. I wanted to sleep. And so like, I basically called out of practice that I didn't feel well and I just need to lay down. And so I go to, uh, I go back to my dorm room and I'm in my rack and I go to sleep. And as I'm sleeping, I get woken up on my sleep because my phone starts buzzing. Zzz, 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 you know? And I just remember like ignoring it, going back to sleep. And I remember zzz, 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 like I go to sleep again. Then one more time, zzz, zzz, zzz. And I finally like finish my sleep. And uh, I get out of bed and I'm like, what was going on? It's like, I feel like my phone was going off. And I pick up my phone. And uh, I had like 20 missed calls, right? I had, the first missed call was from my mom. She had called me. She was like, you know, let me know that um, she had put some money in my bank account. Um, Cause you know, at the Naval Camp, we're only making like $100. I think I was making like $200 a month at that point. Um, so she had sent me like $100 or something to put in my bank account and had left me a message and told me how proud she was. And then like the very next message I had was from my sister. Um, and she was like, Michael, you need to call me now. Something happened to mama. And I was like, uh oh. And then I had like all these missed calls from her. Right. So I ended up calling and, uh, my sister told me that my mom had had a stroke. Um, she was, I think she was at like McDonald's at the time and she had a stroke. Um, and it wasn't looking good. And that the ambulance had found that they, they had to call the ambulance. They came and picked her up and that I needed to come home like immediately. Right. So this is like my fucking world is getting turned upside down. All right. I end up um, going to let like one of my upperclassmen know at the Naval Academy that like my mom had a stroke. I need to get home as soon as possible. And uh, I mean, they immediately like went to work. Shout out to the Naval. I'll never forget the Naval Academy um, or, you know, my, the, the, I just never forget the Naval Academy for helping me out with that situation. They got me a ticket that night to get out of uh, Annapolis to get home to Texas um, you know, I think it was like first thing in the morning, actually, or something. I got a ticket. I know that much. And so the next day, you know, I fly out to Texas and one of my mom's coworkers picked me up from the airport. Um, and he drove me to the hospital and I remember walking in the hospital and like all my mom's coworkers are there. My aunt's there. Her name is uh, Betty Mitchell and my sister, um, Candace are all there. And like, I'm in my uniform. I walk in, everybody's looking at me. Oh, there's Michael. And I just walk past everybody and I go to like the ICU and uh, I see my mom with like all these tubes and everything. And then she's in a coma and I'm just kind of getting caught up on the situation. Right. And I was like, I just remember trying to like deal with it, you know, cause I don't know what it is, man. I think, um, part of it is like, I don't know, it's part of being a male. I don't want to talk about like toxic, toxic masculinity or anything, but like, I do think there's a sense of like, you know, you're the male figure, right? You represent, you represent strength, especially in a household without a father. So, you know, I was like, I've always had this issue of like showing emotion in front of people, like crying in front of people, anything like that, especially my family. 
And so I just remember trying to process this. And so I ended up leaving, you know, leaving the ICU. Um, and I remember one of my mom's teachers, her colleagues stopped me and said that they were going to take care of my plane ticket, et cetera. Um, I told my much I appreciate it, but I just remember leaving. Um, and I just asked to be able to like um, somebody to take me home. So my mom's colleague took me to our apartment, <laughs> 302 Spring Creek Court, um, and a little two-bedroom apartment. And it was super eerie, you know, because I just knew that the life, whatever I had of a normal life before or whatever I had known as like my childhood memories, it's like it was all just kind of getting disheveled. You know what I'm saying? It's like when you lose someone um, and you go to visit the like their spot, their house again or something, it's like that eerie feeling, right? It's that sense of loss, you know? And even when people are still alive, right, it still feels like it's a sense of loss because it will never be what it was before, you know, you will never have that experience again. And I remember going, um, I remember going to the apartment and just kind of sit you weeping, right? I had my car. I remember getting my car um, and just driving around town, right? Um, it's funny because I was in the gospel choir at the Naval Academy at that time. And there was like this record that the Naval Academy put out that the gospel choir had recorded like a couple years prior. And it was just like certain song that I just remember playing over and over again. And it still kind of stuck in my head. Like when I think about that song, I think about me listening to that song, driving in the rain, um, dealing with, you know, this whole situation that was going on with my mom. So I'm like driving, I go to the nursing home, I'll see, I mean, not nursing home, I go to the hospitals here, I'll go drive again. And I, I was like fucking mad, right? And it's funny because I don't know if y'all are listening can relate, but like, now I find myself when I'm like grieving, I find myself get angry. You know, I recently lost a friend of mine by the name of Daryl Hunter. And when I went to his funeral, I was at his wake and I saw his body. I instantly got angry. Right. And I was like, I wanted to like punch a hole through the wall or something. I just got mad. And as I start to look back, I remember when I lost another friend of mine from the cabin, a guy named Blake Carter. And when I found out he passed, I remember jumping up from my desk and wanting to fucking throw a chair through a window. Right. Like, I don't know where this comes from, but I just know that, like, I respond to emotions sometimes like angrily. And I just remember fucking like, I think it was a day like I had, I don't know, like, I won't say distance myself from religion. But prior to that, like I had done the mission trips, you know, like I had done mission trips like Africa and et cetera. I was part of like a fellowship group at the Naval Academy. Like I was doing all this Christian stuff. Um, but I remember being like mad at God at that moment. Like to the point to where I'm talking about Matt, like screaming at the sky, Matt, like pulling my car over to the side of the road and fucking just screaming, you know, screaming at, screaming at the, um, the sky. Right. Cause I, I just felt so lost. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who to turn to. I know I talked to, I just kind of ate it, you know, um, ended up going back home and, you know, going to sleep and again, waking up in that apartment, you know, by myself. Um, and, it was just like, I don't know, man, you just wake up and you just realize you're like in a different universe. Like everything's changed. And uh, my aunt, whom I love very much, her name is Betty Mitchell, man, my mom's sister. She doesn't have any kids, but she's always raised her as if she was, as if we were her own. Her own. And uh, she came up immediately right after, you know, to be there for me and my sister. And I just remember us kind of getting the business. We grabbed breakfast that morning and she was just like, talking about what we got to do with her affairs, you know, going to the high school, going through her office, making sure all that stuff is done, um, preparing for potential funeral arrangements, right? Like all this stuff, 
right? And it's all just kind of happening so fast. You know, this is within like 48 hours from finding out to hitting the deck. Um, and I'll always appreciate her for that, for being there for me and my sister at that time. And I remember having to go to the high school and see all the principals and the faculty kind of look at me kind of sad, whatever. And it's just like, you're just retracing footsteps at this point. Um, and so we took care of all that kind of stuff. Um, and I will tell y'all, man, it's like, I was telling somebody this today who actually lost, um, his brother. Um, and they had to come down to a decision of basically like, not necessarily like, I guess just pulling the plug because when you're faced with that vegetative state, you know, they give the family the option. And I remember us going back to the hospital and the doctors approaching us and they basically gave us that option. Um, and I remember being like, you know, the way he explained it to us, I didn't think there was any chance she was going to come out of it. But my aunt had different, um, a different viewpoint, right? And so, although I think originally I thought we should, uh, you know, we should pull the plug, but uh, my aunt and the rest of the family wanted to give us some more time. And so that's what we, they did, right? We didn't pull the plug. But what I had to do was I ended up having to um, come back home. I mean, come back to the Naval Academy. So I literally left my mom in the ICU with my family and everything else. Right. And to go back to the Naval Academy to continue, you know, school. And it was a tough decision, but it felt like the right decision because we had just fought too hard. Again, we had fought tooth and nail for me to get there and to get that opportunity because, you know, I never really had the best grades. I never was like the smartest kid in high school or anything like that. I've always been just driven by, passion and grit and determination. You know, I got denied to Naval Academy right off the bat, but I just kept applying. I kept, um, I kept sending my blue and gold officer updates, right. About where I was at. And eventually I got an offer to the Naval Academy prep school, proved myself there, you know, after a year and was able to get my official appointment to the Academy. So it felt disingenuous to like give up all that. Um, and I didn't, we didn't know what the future was going to hold. Right. Cause she still hadn't come out of her, her state. And so I went back to the Naval Academy and I just remember, man, that was fucking one of the hardest times ever in life for me, like ever. And as I'm telling this story, right, like a lot of life has happened since then. And I've been in some very challenging situations, but it's like, damn, sometimes you got to recognize like the strength within because sometimes we can forget, right? Life can make you forget. But I remember coming back from that and uh, being devastated, right? Like, I just didn't know like what to do. I felt like alone. I felt like nobody had my back. I felt like I couldn't be, I already knew my fame was going to be worried about me, but it was like, I'm the guy. So I like, I don't want them worried about me. Right. So I just kind of embodied this like internal strength um, that occasionally would happen with like breakdowns where it would come out that I wasn't as strong as I was trying to convey that it was. And shout out to the Navy boxing team, man, because my coach, my team captains, man, Vic Cologne, and uh, Mikoto Yoshida who was on this podcast, man. They called, man. They checked on me while I was down in Texas. Um, they looked at me, looked after me the entire time, man, made sure everything I had. And then I came back and I went back to the gym. And I tell Coach McNally this, right? Because the, the head boxing coach at Navy, there was a moment, right? And I've kind of defined this term as like, I call it like bitch assness. Right. This this thing where we let the excuses within ourselves keep us from reaching our potential. Like we talk ourselves out of stuff. Right. And I know it was like it was a very emotional time for me. 
But I remember coming back and, uh, and I don't know if coach McNally did this intention or whatever, but we had a matchup with West Point. Right. And there was a boxing club show at West Point and McNally came up to me and he was like, you're fighting this uh, weekend or whatever. And I'm feeling so fucking sorry for myself. Right. I didn't say, I don't know if I said it to him, but I just remembered being in my head. Like, what do you mean I'm fighting? My fucking mom is in the hospital with a stroke. I've been gone for like two weeks and you're making me fight army. You're making me fight West Point. Right. And I'll tell you, man, the reason I, I think that was a powerful move. Like I'll always remember that in my life because I almost, I didn't want to box. You know, I would have talked myself out of boxing. You know what I'm saying? I would have talked myself out of that fight. I would have never put myself in the, I don't know if I would ever do that to one of my kids. Right. But now thinking through this story, I'm understanding why I might need to, you know? Um, and so that weekend, like I'm back a fucking week, we load up in the vans, we drive to the United States Military Academy, and I end up having to fight West Point's team captain, a guy named uh, Corey Castle. And I'm in my head the entire time before the fight, right? And I'm in my head, like watching all these guys fight and everything. And then I get in the ring, and like that first round was fucking brutal. I was like battling demons. You know, I was battling demons within myself. Like I just remember my head swirling around, telling me that I'm nothing. You know, I was feeling sorry for myself. I was saying all that stuff. Why this coach got me fighting, whatever. But I just fucking dug, right? I just, I, I was still fighting. I was still fighting. That's half the battle is just showing up and keep fighting. I end up coming out that first round pretty beat up, but I end up bouncing back the second round. And I end up finishing strong that third round. And I end up winning the fight, you know? And I was just like, I can't believe it. You know what I'm saying? And I just remember being very emotional. I remember getting out of the ring, crying, crying. I just remember saying to myself, like, man, fucking everything is possible. Like, nothing is impossible, you know? And I started talking, I started telling my teammates, like, man, I was battling demons in there. This wasn't even about boxing. This was about me, like, fighting for myself, fighting for my existence in this thing called life. Um, and I was just so fucking thankful that I got that small win. Like, I fucking needed that small win. You know, like I needed that, I needed that win. I needed a win to bounce, to fight back against all the stuff that I was struggling emotionally. And, uh, you know, that was right before, you know, brigades too. So then next thing you know, right after that army win, I'm in brigade boxing championships again. Fucking first round, stop my opponent. Second round, stop my opponent. And I find myself in the championship this time fighting Chevette's, Right. And this is worth a podcast episode on itself. But I'll tell y'all, right? Like one of the cool things about brigades is that like for the most part at club shows, at least in the collegiate level, right? Like amateur shows, you don't necessarily get like walkout music. There might be like generic music, but they're never going to go to the fighter and be like, hey, what song do you want to have playing when you walk out? And I remember that I wanted a song by Kanye West called Hey Mama, right? Na, 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 na. He talks about how, how mama, I'm so proud of you. And uh, I'm going to tell you everything. Hey, mama. Um, I got I to gotta play. It's been, I should have listened to it for this song. But I remember I wanted that song to play as my walkout music. So it's the night of brigade finals. And we're getting, I'm getting ready to make my way to the ring. Or I'm back there warming up first. And one of my teammates, a guy named Adonijah, he was a freshman at the time. He comes up to me and he's like, hey, I'll make sure you get your walkout song going. And so I remember um, making my way towards the ring. 
and my my sister was there. I think my cousin had come up for that fight too. Or maybe it was just my cousin, my cousin Terrence. I remember making my way to the ring and I don't remember hearing my walkout music go on. Right. And I'm fucking nervous, right? Like I'm terrified because it's like the brigade finals and Chevette's has already beat me. Um, and I'm I'm making my way to the ring. And I'll never forget, man. I get to the bottom of those stairs and the fucking music cuts on. Na 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 na. And I start making my way up the stairs. Na 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 na. And I'm like, I'm like fucking getting fired up. Like I'm getting fired up just even thinking about it right now. And I just felt this like superpower beating in my chest. Chest. And I was like, let's go, baby. And I like jump up. Like, you know, how you see Pigot jump up and ring his knees to his chest. I'm like, let's fucking go. You know, na 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 na. And uh, one of my team captains, he's like, Mike, calm down, calm down. And all my friends from, uh, you know, from the academy, you know, they're behind me. They already know how that song is, right? Like all my black friends from Naval Academy, like, yo, let's fucking go, Mike. Okay, Mike, you're ready. And I remember that was the first time for me as an athlete that I wasn't scared, right? That that was the time where like I felt that competitiveness. Like, like I'm fucking coming for you. Like I'm coming rise to the occasion. And I remember walking to the center of that ring Right. And fucking during that stare down. And I look at I look at fucking Chevette's and I'm like, I'm, I look at him. I'm, like, I'm about to fucking come for you. Right. And it was funny because I one thing I remember at the time was that, like, you know, when you're good and it's, it comes with boxing. Right. People think you don't have to work as hard. You know what I'm saying? It's like this sense of like, you know, they say it's, it's hard to get up and do road work when you're sleeping on sleeping on silk sheets. And I just remember that, like, I know I had a strong work ethic inside the gym. I don't know if he necessarily did. He'd always just kind of relied on his skill. But I remember him, like, not wanting to make eye contact with me when I was, like, fucking staring him down. And I remember going to my corner that time. Bell rings. I fucking come out. And I'm just, I'm fucking coming for him. Right? And everybody was like, I remember I threw my first left hook. And the arena, like, went like, woo! You know, they were like, they were surprised, right? They were like, this is going to be a good fight because now you're at the little heavier weights. So I ended up fighting Chevette. Chevette's had a strong first round, right? Crump. Second round, go out there. Same thing. I'm fucking going to the body, going to the head. And the funny thing is, right? Like he was human to me. You know, it was like the first fight, right? Like he, uh, he seemed like superhuman. You know what I mean? Because I was just like caught up in my head about his skill level and all his, uh, his experience prior to it. But tonight it was like open game. It was open season as far as I was concerned. I was like, I'm fucking coming for you, you know? And I could hear his little grunts and his little moans in the body. I was like, this dude ain't as tough as I fucking thought he was, right? Go back to my corner for the third round. Coach Searing was working my corner. And he's like, Mike, just fucking keep punching. Whatever you do, whatever you do, don't stop punching. Don't stop punching. And that bell rang. And I came out that third round. And I fucking just let my hands go and I just start throwing at it. And Chavez tried to beat me halfway, but then he waned. And for that entire third round, I just let everything I had out, right? I was fucking the demons in my head, thinking about my mom, thinking about everything. I just fucking let it all out, right? And when the bell rang, like I was still throwing, I had nothing left. I could barely stand up, you know? Um, and I remember, um, you know, Coach Searing, you know, patting me on the head, giving me a hug. Everybody was proud of me. And this was also, it was funny, like for, as a, as a competitor, as an athlete, you know, this was also when I knew the difference between like hoping to win, you know, that feeling of like standing in the center ring, praying to God that your hand gets raised. Um, and I just remember, you know, like taking off, you know, taking off my gloves, taking off my everything, going to stand in the center ring. And like, it was just such an emotional time for me. I gotta get emotional thinking about it right now, but 
you know, to be, to be honest. Um, but I just remember standing in the center of that ring. I got my head down, you know, and I'm just thinking about everything that had uh, led up to that point, you know, and everything I still had to battle. Cause it's not like you, you know, it's not like a boxing match is gonna like, I don't know, you know, save your whole life. But it was a big thing for me at the time, you know, cause it felt like I was making a step in the right direction. I knew I had trained so hard for it. And uh, I believe at the time Chevette was a senior too. So this would be my only chance to, to beat him. And when they fucking called my name, right? And I got a photo for it. I fucking lost it, right? Like I, my fucking hand went in the air. I got this picture of me looking like a conquering hero. And I was just like, it was one of the best feelings ever in my entire life. Um, and honestly, it's up there. I think it means more for me the first time I won the brigade boxing championships than I won my national championships. Just because of everything I was dealing with that time. Everything from the stroke again, the hey mama coming on, me having to fight Javette. It was just me rising to the occasion, right? And I climb out, you know, my hands raised, a conquering hero, whatever. The arena goes crazy. I climb out the ring and Coach McNally was like, good job, man. And he's like, you, you ready to fight tomorrow? Because now that I was on the, you know, I won brigades, you know, I had a, there was a Navy invitational that was always the day after, especially since everybody's family was in town. And uh, I would have to fight the next day, like literally like the next morning. So I'd only have a short time to celebrate. But like I was out of breath. I was gas. Started making my way um, to the back of the arena. Right. All my friends are like patting me on the uh, uh, patting me on my back, you know, tell me how proud they were and everything. And it's always these moments of like the I won't say the, the I won't call it loneliness, but you always have these quiet moments where it's just you. And I go sit in the back and I fucking, I even sit down yet. I threw up, right? I just remember like I sit on this mat then I'd hop up to throw up in a trash can and then I come back to the mat and then I like fall over the mat and like, and like laying down behind the mat on the ground, just like staring at the ceiling, this big fucking giant wrestling mat. And it's just me by myself. And then next thing I know, I remember all my boys come up and they're like, hey, yo, Mike, good job, yeah, baby. And I like pushing my chest and everything. And there's another photo of that. Like it's a candid moment. I'm just trying to look tough, right? Like I got my, you know, my, my, my tough face on. Um, but I gave so much of myself in that fight that I literally threw up. Like I had nothing left. Like I literally threw up, right? So next thing I know, um, you know, I end up, uh, you know, walking around the arena, seeing my teachers and everybody would come out to support. And I remember, um, you know, giving my cousin a hug, you know, uh, when I saw him, give my sister a hug. Right. Um, and I'll tell you too, man, I come back when I had first come back from the, uh, come back from Texas, there was a teacher there. I forgot his name, man. But like one of my strong classes was not physics. Physics is like a very hard class at Naval Academy. And I remember sitting down at a physics test and I'd only been back like three weeks or something. And I just fucking, in the middle of the test, I just turned over my paper and wrote the poem Invictus. Boom, boom, boom. I wrote on the back of the paper and I walked out the test. I didn't, I didn't fill out anything, right? I remember getting called into his office and he told me he saw my test and, uh, and saw that I wrote the poem. And he started like getting emotional and teary-eyed. And he told me that he was dealing with his own stuff um, and that he would give me another chance to kind of take the test. And I remember seeing him at the fights with his family and everything um, and just just being appreciative, man. You know, that's why, I, you know, I think for a lot of minorities, I don't say a lot of minorities, but like, you know, 
some people can have a negative view of these institutions, not even just minorities, just people in general, where they're like, they never go back to the Naval Academy or they never go back to this because of what it, you know, they just have a different relationship with it. But for me, like, I've always been very appreciative. Like, it's been very hard for me, but there were just so many people there that really helped me be the best version of myself when I needed it the most. And so, you know, there's a, I've had negative memories there, but my, my happy memories by far surpassed those. Um, and so, you know, the next day, literally right after winning Brigade Boxing Championship, the next day, I find myself in the ring boxing Sam Greenwood. Now, the year prior, I had met Sam at the regionals, right? Walked in the ring. I remember seeing this white kid. He didn't have the nicest looking boxing shoes. He was from Citadel, right? I'm thinking that's like, you know, I'm a naval king, whatever. I got this, right? Get in the ring. Dude gave me a fucking standing eight count. Right. And I was like, that was when I, I learned that lesson. They talk about it in boxing, never underestimate what somebody's wearing. You know, like you see somebody, if you see the boxer in the nicest outfit, the slickest clothes, all this kind of stuff, he might not be good at all. And I've seen this happen over and over again. When you see the guy in the, in the ring with like the beat up shoes, whatever, that's the guy you want to be scared of. And so Sam would go on and be like, I'm going to call him like my arch nemesis because he's a good dude. But he was just, he just fucking kept beating me. He beat me then. The next day, right after brigades, right after the high of winning the national championship, not only did he beat me, he's the only guy that made me really bleed, right? Gave me a standing eight count again, I think, and I finished the fight, but now I had like a bloody lip. I had like a black eye. I was like, beat the fuck up. And I remember because that night, uh, you know, I ended up losing to Sam, but I remember me and my my cousin and my sister going out to eat dinner, and I remember waiting on our table, and I'm just looking fucking beat up. And this is also after the high comes off, right? Like this is when the high wears off of like being the champion, you know, the high of the night before. And now it's like, I'm selling into this life again of like, guess what, Mike? Still at the Naval Academy, you know, your mom is still, you know, dealing with the stroke. And one thing I will say, as I forgot to mention at this point, I believe I have found out that she had come out of the ICU, that she had awoken. And I do believe I got to talk to her on the phone. I'm not sure. But I know that we were past the point to where like she had woken and she was paralyzed on the left side of her body and that she wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, necessarily walk again, whatever. But again, I hadn't seen her. So this is all that I've been told, like on the phone or whatever. Um, I can't remember if I had talked to her or not, but I remember sitting inside that restaurant, beat the fuck up, man, you know, um, and feeling kind of like my cousin was like proud of me. You know, he's older, too. And he used to live with us back in the day. Um, him and his wife. Um, but uh, I just, man, I don't know. I just remember fucking feeling sorry for myself again. But they were looking at me like I, they were the proudest thing, like I was the proudest thing ever, and that I was going to be okay, and that I had a support network uh, there with my frat brothers, with my friends. And uh, he, I remember him coming up there and seeing all the people standing in my corner, and he was like, you're going to be all right. I remember him saying to himself that he was going to be all right, that I was going to be all right. And that when he went home, you know, I told my family, he's like, Mike's in good hands, whatever. So that whole semester, again, I'm still dealing with that. I'm still training, but now I'm setting my eyes on like the national championship, right? I had talked a big game before about me wanting to be a national champion. And yet here I am, um, finally making my way uh, to the finals. Well, not finals, but finally having the opportunity to go to nationals again. So I go to regionals. Fucking win my first fight. When my second fight, I think I won both by like knockout. And then I get to fucking Sam Greenwood, right? I think it's my third time fighting him at this point. And he gives, I don't know if he gave me a standing eight count this time 
But he beat me up pretty good. I ended up giving him a standing eight count, but ended up losing. So I ended up going to nationals um, as the number two from our region, right? And uh, he ended up going as like the number one from our region. So that's good because it gets you a little bit of better seating when you show up to these tournaments, right? And uh, I remember too that year, and this is something I, you know, I apologize on like the timeline, but one of the things that I did that year that really kind of ties into this story of what has me where I'm at today in Newark, New Jersey was I convinced coach McNally to let the Navy boxing team uh, go to uh, New York city to train for nationals. Right. So spring break at the Naval Academy every year, Navy boxing team ends up having to stay back at the Academy to train for spring break. Usually he gets us a hotel out in town at the Navy lodge. You know, that way we can get out of our, our rooms in Bancroft hall, the dormitory and, uh, you know, the year prior we did it, but it can be kind of depressing when everybody's like going on spring break and shit and you're like stuck back in Bancroft um, or you're stuck back in Annapolis, you know, training. So I just come up with this idea. I was like, man, let's let's go to fucking New York City. You know, we could uh, do some like outreach up there. We could train at some gyms. And my team captains took the lead on it. Yo, Miko, Mikoto and uh, Vic Cologne. And so we made it happen, man. We ended up getting hotels at like, the, the army base in Brooklyn. Right. And we, we coordinated with this like outreach tour and we spent the fucking week training at like Gleason's gym. Uh, we trained at, uh, uh, star at city, like a lot of legendary gyms in like, you know, the New York city boxing scene. And there was a cop there named Pat Russo from a program called cops and kids and him and his partner, Dave Siev, they showed us around all these different gyms. They drew us into these housing projects we got to train the kids at boxing. They took us to their gyms, their outreach programs, et cetera. And uh, took me out to Starrett City where I got to meet a guy named uh, Joe Higgins and train out there. Um, and so it was just this amazing experience. I fought a pro, right? And I remember right off the bat, right, this dude, his name was uh, Raul Frank at Gleason's. You know, we're sparring at Gleason's world famous boxing gym. And uh, he was telling me, he's like, man, you're pretty good for a guy that's been boxing like a year and a half. Um, and I remember too of like, you know, we're just getting beat the fuck up, right? Like the Navy boxing team, we're getting dominated by these 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 amateur boxers in New York City, like the Mecca boxing. Kids been in the gym since they were like three years old. You know, 12-year-old, 14-year-old kids beating up, you know, grown-ass men. And, uh, but it was a good experience because it was like, I was like, man, if we could do this, you know, there's no reason we can't win nationals. I remember learning infighting at Starrett City, right? Um, I had really, you know, in fight is just kind of way a way of box is like a style of fighting. It naturally happens, you know, when you're in a match anyway, but like there's like a science to it too. But I never forget, man, getting out to Starrett City, right? There's this guy, um, Danny Green. I forgot his name, man. One of my team captains, one of my teammates will remind me. But we're out there. And uh, this was like this little, like of all the other gyms we had gone to, this gym was like, the I don't want to call it like the nut fanciest one, right? Like you're going out to like Gleason's, which looks nice. You're going to Starrett City. It's not like the nicest, right? But it's in a little hood spot. But then you get to like this gym, which was out in Long Island. And it was like fucking, it was just like a shed. And there was really like one ring in there and a couple bags. And I was like, well, this is, uh, this is a lot different than our other gyms. Long story, uh, I mean, long story short though, turns out this is where we got some of the best sparring. Like, fucking, this guy was like the Pied Piper of boxing. He started blowing that whistle, and all these little kids started coming out. And I remember these two guys walked in, right? One was a white guy. One was a black dude with dreads, whatever. 
And they look just fucking tough as nails. And uh, I later learned to find out that one of the guys was Joe Smith Jr. And so me and my team, Joe Smith Jr., by the way, knocked out Bernard Hopkins. He's a world champ, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, he, you know, we ended up getting matched up. And Joe Smith Jr., right, he gets in with one of our guys, right? Right off the bat, cuts his cornea, our team captain, Vic Cologne. So he gets out. Next guy jumps in the ring, guy named Rick Weigert. Fucking dude starts teeing off on him. Beats the brakes off of Weigert, right? Um, and to the point to where, like, Weigert has to get out the ring. And I remember Miko, Mikoto, you're coming up to me. He's like, Mike, you don't have to get in there if you don't want to. And I was like, you know what, man? Fuck it. Let's go. So I climb in the ring. I get in there and I spar. I'm sparring with, like, Joe Smith Jr. And uh, we're, like, going at it, right? I'm like, I'm protecting myself. I got my high guard up. He's hitting me, but I'm like, block it, whatever. And then it gets to like the 32nd mark where like the bell goes off. And me, I make a stupid mistake of like, I tried to open up a little bit. And all that means is like, I let, like, let my hands go, start really teeing off on him. And he catches me with a left hook and drops me. And it was my first time getting dropped inside a boxing ring. And I remember, man, like, it's funny because in practice, Right. Coach would always do these like knockdown drills where he's like makes you drop to the ground and he gives the countdown one, two. And he tells you to stand up at three. There's like four or five, get to one knee. And then at like six, you stand up all the way to show the ref that you're good. But this is my first time getting like dropped in the ring. So it was like it was like real to me. And that's important for uh, the national championship. Right. So anyways, you know, that spring break trip was great. It was a great team bonding experience. It was a great confidence building experience. And later in life, when I decided to move to Newark, one of the reasons I did was because I wanted to be closer to that New York City boxing scene. At the time, I didn't know Newark had its own boxing scene. I just thought Newark would give me an opportunity to um, be in proximity to New York City to coach and train in there. But once I got to Newark, I hit the ground and uh, I just kind of started building grassroots boxing program here. I'd never had to really go into the city other than to, to spar with their kids, et cetera. So anyways, I'm back, going back to after spring break, fight at regionals, lose to Sam Greenwood, make it to nationals. I'm not the number one seed, so who, God knows who I can get. I end up getting a, a national runner-up from like the year prior. Fucking knock him out the first round, right? Like, I don't know how it happened. I just know I was on my toes, boom, boom, boom. I throw a shot, I drop him and knock him out. They stopped the fight. Right. So I get you know, my first win. And I still remember being like surprised because it wasn't like anything I forced. It just kind of happened. Next thing I know, um, I'm in the I'm in the semifinals. Right. And I'm boxing Corey Castle again from Army. And I'm still dealing with this imposter syndrome. Right. Like this sense of like, and who am I? Right. Like to be out here at Nationals, I'm like a fucking nobody, you know, and somebody's going to find out eventually. Um, but yet I keep making my way in this like boxing thing. So I get in there with Castle, right? Army. Fucking have a tough fight, right? But I just remember trying to like really get him out of there. I don't know. I was like throwing power shots. Fucking third round, I hit him with a combo and his mouth, his mouthpiece comes flying out across the ring, right? I get thrown to my neutral corner. The ref gives him a standing eight count. And then, uh, you know, he lets, you know, back on action, action on. And I go off and I start unloading on uh, Castle again. And uh, fucking the army coach throws in the towel, right? So now I'm fucking going to the finals. I won my quarterfinal bout. I won my semifinal bout. And now I find out I'm actually going to be fighting for the fucking national championship, 
right? And we were in Reno, Las Vegas at the time, by the way. We we're fighting at the uh, El Dorado Hotel and Casino. Um, but fucking Army threw in the towel, and I couldn't, I couldn't believe it, right? Like Army never throws in the towel. I never see him throw in the towel. Um, and this was their team captain. And I just remember getting out the ring. I remember like, yo, Miko, though, yo, and all my teammates being like, fuck yeah, Mike, let's go, baby. Yeah. And uh, cause I'm fighting, <laughs> I'm now I'm like fighting in the national championship. And I'm at this point, right? I'm banking on like fighting Greenwood. Like at least in my mind, I'm thinking about to fight Greenwood again. But turns out it's not the case, right? So I get out the ring, right? And then I go sit out with my coach to watch the next, the bouts right after me. Right. And Greenwood ends up fighting this dude from Reno named Kenny Dyer Redner. And the interesting thing about nationals, like nationals was one of the times where us as a boxing team would see these monster programs from like the East coast, you know, like you wouldn't really see them. Cause you know, like boxing is a club sport. So a lot of these programs aren't as funded as we are at the military academies. So, you know, these club, these university club teams, they can't travel, you know, all across the country for these boxing shows. So, the best time to see people is at these regional shows or national championships. And so you're getting out to Reno and you're seeing fucking like, again, university of Nevada, Reno, university of Nevada, Las Vegas. Uh, you're seeing um, like these West coast schools, Santa Clara, all this kind of stuff. And as far as we're concerned, these guys look like fucking monsters, right? So Greenwood is in there boxing against Dyer Redner and he loses. And again, like my jaw drops, right? Cause I'm thinking, uh, that like I was going to be fighting um, Greenwood to kind of redeem myself for all these other losses. But now I'm fighting this monster of a, of a boxer who was like six, two lanky arms, native American, right. Slick boxer, um, Kenny Dyer Redner. And I'm just like, I can't believe it, you know? And so that night, like I couldn't even fucking sleep, you know? Cause it's like when I wake up tomorrow, like, it's going to be, I'll be fighting for the national championship. And the grand, the fights were in the evening. So I'd have the morning myself, but it was still the gravity of it. And I was like, I didn't know who to talk to about it. Right. Like I didn't know, like, yeah, I had my teammates, but like, I wasn't going to call my aunt and be like, I'm fighting for national championship. Um, I just didn't know, you know? And uh, like, <laughs> as I kind of think about those, those times, right. Like it's just immense, like quiet and loneliness at times. I think that was one of those times where I would have loved like a pep talk from like a father, you know, like you got this son or somebody to travel out there to see me. And my aunt would have come, you know, my family would have come if I would have asked them. But for me, it was like, I always got nervous when people were watching me and I didn't want that extra pressure, you know? So I didn't, I just made it seem like it was no big deal. I didn't want anybody to come out there. Um, and another thing too is like, in this whole build up to nationals, right? Remember I said I was coming back and I was telling about I was going to be a national championship. Then my mom has a stroke and then my life was basically thrown into turmoil. For some reason, and maybe it was just a naive mistake, it's just what happens with, with growing up is that I thought that if I won my national, if I won that national championship, it would make all my problems go away. You know, it's like Christmas. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I remember being in high school being like, there was this girl I liked, right? I had a crush on her. And I just remember she wasn't giving me the time of day. And I just remember thinking, well, if I get an Xbox for Christmas, I won't care about it no more. And after about three days of playing with that Xbox, right, you realize it's just an Xbox and you still have these feelings for it. It didn't go away. So I should have learned my lesson then. But with regards to boxing, like, I just felt like, you know, I would, it would make it all worth it if I won this national championship. That all the the trauma and, and the 
heartache I was dealing with, you know, they would make it like magically go away. And, uh, you know, I remember that night I ended up calling one of my frat brothers, a guy named Earl Checkley. And I just called him and told him, I was like, yeah, Earl, I'm fighting a national championship. I just wanted to talk to someone. And he just made time for me, man. And, you know, this podcast, right? Like, obviously it's like me sharing like my confessions and everything, but like, you know, I'm a believer in like the power of community, black, white, Native American, whatever, man. And I, I, I do appreciate like people like that, you know, even though I might not see him, you know, on the regular or whatever, but like at that moment in time, like he made himself available for me, you know, um, and he didn't, he didn't, he didn't have to. Right. And I think we need to extend ask, you know, moments like that connections like that, man, that's the only way we're going to be able to build, you know, thrive in communities. But that's a, that's a whole nother story, but I just want to acknowledge that, you know, but I remember calling Earl Checkley and him just making time for me. We're just talking. So the next day, I have like a quiet day in my thoughts, right? Nervous as hell because I know I'm fighting for national championship. And then uh, the night finally comes and, you know, I just remember, you know, watching the fights. And <laughs> I, uh, I'm i sitting there watching the first round. And, um, you know, because I'm a heavier weight class, all the lighter weight classes go first. And so, you know, I could warm up. I usually don't start warming up to like three or four fights, you know, before mine started doing some jump rope and some shadow boxing, et cetera. But I remember watching that first fight and just remember watching it being like a fucking a war, just like brigades. I mean, just like that smoker, right? Guys fighting fucking tooth and nail, giving it their all. And this was a big event because it was like sponsored by CBS. So there was like cameras, there was videos, there was all this kind of stuff. The ring was like this giant spotlight Right. So like it was a big deal. And I remember watching the first fight. I was like, whew, that's going to be me in a little bit. And I watched the second fight. I'm like, whew, that's going to be me. And then the third time, about the third fight, like I was fucking, I threw up in the bathroom because I was so nervous. And I was in, I ended up going to like a fucking broom closet and like bawling my, bawling my eyes out because I was so scared. Right. Again, it was like, who the fuck am I to be fighting in this national championship? I'm nothing. I'm no one. And the only thing standing between Kenny Dyer Retner and the University of Nevada Reno and a, a national championship is is me. And, you know, I was in that fucking broom closet, man, just crying, bawling my eyes out. And it was to the point to where it's like, you cry so much that they're till they're like bloodshot, you know? Um, and then you cry so much you can't cry anymore. You know, I had no tears left. I let it all out. And I remember like looking at myself in the mirror and just like, kind of giving myself a little tep, pep, a little, you know, um, pep talk. Like, fucking got this, Mike, let's go. You know, I just remember kind of looking at myself and just kind of, you know, bobbing my head, just looking at myself, bobbing my head, like telling myself I got it. I remember coming out of the bathroom. I mean, coming out of that broom closet. Like, I didn't even say nothing. Like, eyes bloodshot, and I just got my warm-up going, put my stuff on, and I, you know, they, my teammate helped me get ready, put the... Vaseline on all that kind of stuff. And I just remember sitting at the back just like by myself. Um, and coach McNally comes back there. And like, this is why, like I'm a little closer with McNally and a lot of other, my teammates, he comes back there and he just kind of sits with me and we start, he's just like, you know, do it for mama, baby. He's like, do it for your mom. He's like, you've been through a lot. He's like, you know, he's kind of like visualizing, like stick and move, you know, keep your hands up, blah, blah, blah. Right. And I've never boxed this dude. I've never seen this dude before. Um, I don't really know what to expect, right? So uh, end up getting in, uh, you know, it's time for the fight. 
I had cheerleaders and everything. The cheerleaders like escorted us out. It was like, you know, the 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 crowd and everything. And interesting about Dyer Retner was Kenny was from the University of Nevada, Reno. And at that point, Reno was like, like the military cats would always have these deep teams. Like you have a team that's like 12 deep. You know, you show up to nationals with 12 fighters. Like you have 10 fighters in the finals. You know, that happened a lot of times. Schools like Reno and University of Nevada, Las Vegas, they would show up to these to nationals with like four guys and they could get three to the finals, right? That's how good they were. And this particular night, they had four and all four had made it to the finals and all three had already won. And so Reno had these shirts that were like four for four or something. Um, and so this was like an all Reno crowd, right? Because it's at, it's the University of Nevada Reno was hosting nationals. It was at the El Dorado Hotel and Casino. They had already won three national championships. So everybody had the shirts and everything. So we make our way to the ring. And I, I you know, it's like, there's these times where you kind of just say like, screw it. You know, you just kind of rise up. And at that moment, right? Like I get in the ring, right? I'm nervous as hell, goosebumps. And just for the record, I don't care what anybody says, anytime I was making my way to the ring, I always thought about like booking it out of there, like find that nearest exit, but it's too late because you're already moving. But these are kind of the thoughts that start going through your head, right? Um, and I end up, uh, you know, climbing in the ring and Dyer Redner comes in, the place is going fucking crazy. Right. And uh, when they called my name, you know, represent the United States Naval Academy, whatever. I just remember throwing my fist up in there like a black power fist. I had never done it before, but it was just me like fucking I don't know. Like I was just like, fuck it. I put my fist up in the air. Right. Just as a sign of strength and made my way to the center of the ring. Right. Then Dyer Redner comes out. He's looking like a monster. And then we go back to our corners. And then next thing I know, the bell rings and we're off. Right. Um, and it's funny because when you're in a boxing ring, it's like nothing else in the world matters. It's like everything else phases and it's just you focus on the guy that's like right in front of you. Right. And it can be like an addiction for a lot of people because nothing else even comes close to describing that feeling when you have it. Right. And there are a lot of people that can be champions inside the ring, but they struggle creating that same success, you know, outside of it. So anyways, I'm going, I'm making my way towards Dyeren. It's just quiet. I can just hear it. It's just me and him. Right. And we start going at it. Right. You know, I throw a jab, end up landing a one, two on him pretty good. Right. So I'm like, I'm still kind of tight. Right. Got my elbows in, whatever. Um, but we're boxing. It's good. You know, I'm sticking to moving. And then he catches me with a left hook in the first round and drops me. And the whole place goes crazy. Right. And mind you, prior to that time, the only other time I'd ever been dropped inside of a boxing ring was when I sparred in New York City with Joe Smith Jr. And right after that happened, right, when I ended up training back at Navy, Coach McNally made us do a knockdown drill, right? So, we're, you know, at, he does the countdown because, you know, you get knocked down. They do like a eight count. You know, at like he tells you like number four at four seconds, like stand up on your knee at six seconds, you know, stand all the way up. But when Dyer Redner hit me with that fucking left hook, it woke me up, you know, it woke me up when I hit the ground and I hit the canvas. It was like, it was almost like out of a movie. Like everything hit me. Everything had hit me in a sense of like how far I had come to that point and how disingenuous it would be for me to get dropped and get stopped in the first round. Right. After all of that. And I was nervous. Right. And I'll be honest with y'all. I'll tell y'all something else. When I was in that fight, I wasn't trying to fight to win. I was trying to survive. I just wanted my school and I wanted my family to be proud of me. 
You know, I want everyone to be proud of me. That's really what I was going for. Win or lose, I just wanted people to be like, oh, Mike did, you know, he did good. He held his own. And when I got dropped in that first round, I realized like I couldn't do that. And, you know, usually people take their time to get up off the canvas. I got fucking mad, right? I rolled over, I punched the canvas, and then I stood up and I was like, let's fucking go. You know, and at that moment, I decided I was going for it. I was going to go and try to win this national championship. And it took that knockdown to wake me up. Dyer Redner, bell rings. Dyer Redner goes back to his corner. Reno's going fucking crazy. You know, he's like, and the, the commentators were saying it like, oh, that first round really, uh, you know, went to Dyer Redner clearly. Uh, but we we're amateurs. So it was a point-based system. So getting dropped only counts as one point. So I go back to my corner. Coach Renato's like, relax, relax, baby. You got this, you know, do it for mom, et cetera. I come out that next round, have a really, really strong fucking second round, right? Got myself back in the fight, right? Going at it. Die Renner start to wane a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I'm a Naval Academy guy. I'm in shape. This ain't my first rodeo, right? And I remember going back to my corner for that, you know, after that second round. And again, Coach Searin, he looks at me. He's like, Mike, whatever you do, don't stop punching. Just keep punching, right? Just let your hands go. Coach Manali, same thing. Let's do it for mama, baby. Let your hands go. Bell rings. I go out and I fucking threw everything I had, everything but the kitchen sink. I didn't care. I was going for it. I was like, I am going for it. And I let my hands go. And it was like a brawl. I mean, we were going at it, right? I catch Dyer with left hook, catch him with a right cross, hit him to the body. I'm working high, low, low, high. He starts to wane. Um, and I'm just applying pressure the entire round. And it was funny because in the gym, I come up with this, this like bag drill of like, when it was 30 seconds left on the bag, no matter what I had left, I would fucking just throw a flurry of nonstop one, two, one, twos. And in this fight, like I can barely breathe, right? Like I don't have anything left in me. But I remember hearing that like, I don't know if it was like a clap or something, but I remember, no, we had a, we had a, a saying, it was like kaboom. Kaboom means you had 30 seconds left in the fight. Coach Minali says, uh, kaboom. And I just fucking let my hands go nonstop one, two, one, two. And I just start tagging him. Bing, 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 bing. He's not punching back or nothing. And to be honest, you should have got a standing eight count because I ran him all the way to the ropes. But the refs didn't do anything. I think his arm got caught in the ropes. So I back out. I start going back at him again. And I just finished the round in a flurry. And, you know, after that, right, like, I don't even think I knew I won. I don't know anything, right? I just knew that I let it all out in the ring. I started making my way back to the corner. And uh, McNally... Like, pats me on the head. Siren pats me on the head. Everybody gives me a, love, a hug, you know, my coaches. And I remember my teammates being like, yeah, Mike, yeah, Mike. And then the entire time during that last round, there was this moment where, you know, they start chanting, you know, Reno, Reno, Reno. And all my teammates are like, Navy, Navy, Navy. So the whole arena is like going crazy. Because again, literally, it was like something out of a movie. And, uh, I end up going to the going to the center of the ring to wait the decision. And like, again, I got all these emotions going through my head. And I'm standing there in the center of the ring and I got my head down. Right. I'm just kind of, you know, I don't know what to expect, right? And I remember my teammate, man, fucking Ruben's wife. He's like, keep your head up, Mike. Keep your head up, no matter what. And then I got my head up, you know, and I'm sitting there and they're like, and the winner. Boxing out of the red corner, representing the United or blue corner. Boxing out of the blue corner, representing the United States Naval Academy, Mike Stedman. And I was like, fuck yeah. 
You know, I just remember being like, ah, you know, the emotion of it, man, is crazy. Um, I just was like, I don't know, man. I felt like a king, you know, after all of that, again, all that struggle, man, I had finally done it, man. I was a national champ and they handed me that belt. And I, I remember I had to get interviewed like literally right afterwards. And I was like, I didn't even have anything. Like I could barely um speak. And I just remember saying, man, like, thank you to the NCBA for giving me opportunity to uh, have something to hold my head up high. You know, I was like, my mom's in the hospital right now, you know, but I made it. I was a national champ. And I just wanted to thank the NCBA for putting on this tournament and allowing me here. And I remember there was a video, right, of the fight, you know, and it was showing the arena and everything. I remember my teammates bawling, right? They were crying because they, they had all knew what I had gone through to get to that point. And I remember incoherently saying like, um, Sam Greenwood, man, I was like, Sam Greenwood, I'm coming for you or something. It's like, uh, you know, Sam Greenwood was me and you all year. We had great fights. I was like, shout out to Sam Greenwood. And I was like incoherent about it, but it was just because like my mind immediately went to like, okay, I beat Di Redner, but I don't necessarily feel like the full national champ yet until I get um, Sam Greenwood, right? But that would be like a, a, another story. So anyways, I climb out the ring and I'm still dealing with the high of like, having the belt, national championship. I sit down and it all comes out and I just start fucking balling. Like that kind of shaking balling, you know, because I did it. Um, I was a national champ. I had this belt and uh, just dealing with all the emotions from it, the highs, the lows, everything. Ended up watching the rest of my teammates compete that night. We had a great night. Um, I think it was like three or four of us became national champs. We took second place that year in the entire tournament. And then that night we all kind of went out um, to celebrate. Um, and for me, I think, and I don't know if I had just turned 21. I'm not sure, but I just remember I didn't really feel like celebrate. Right. I think it was all just surreal. Right. I think I went out, had cigars with the team, had a little drink. Um, but like, I just realized it was hitting, it was starting to set in that like I had set out to do what I wanted to do was win a national championship, but I was not, um, it didn't make all my problems go away. You know, the fact that like I was still dealing with all these emotional issues. And I remember the next morning we woke up to fly out of the airport, right? It hit me. And I'm like walking in the airport. I'm in my dress whites. I got my trophy. I've got my belt. And I also got most viable boxer, by the way, uh, which is a big, uh, it was a, a, a prestigious award. So like I'm literally walking through the airport like a boss, got my trophy, got my belt and I'm on a fucking emotional wreck. You know, I'm like crying. I'm bawling my eyes out. Um, And I get on the plane and I just kind of sit in a corner, that, that corner window aisle. And I just basically just like quietly saw myself to sleep. And then when I get back to the academy, you know, um, I walk back in my room. I set my belt down. My my roommates were like, you won? Congrats, man. That's awesome. You know, everybody was congratulating me. But I just remember, like, the excitement of life was just non-existent. You know, just a sense of, like, it was, like, almost like a dread um, of, like, now what? Like, now what do I have to look forward to, you know? And I uh, I didn't know what to do once again. And I remember, like, the next day, when classes started, because I think we got back on like a Sunday, and then class were on Monday. I went to Coach McNally's office and fucking bawled my eyes out, you know, just again, just the emotional, whatever. 
Um, and it's funny because, you know, a lot of my friends now, they're a little older boxing alumni, guys like Todd, Con Todd Alexander, shout out to Todd, if you're listening, but they would be like talking to coach because, you know, they graduated, they're older alumni, but, um, he's like, yeah, Stedman just walked into my office. Cause all of us national champs and stuff, we all kind of knew of each other, even if we hadn't met. And I just remember going in there and just kind of like bawling my eyes out. And, uh, I remember coach Manali saying, yeah, he was expecting this at some point. Um, and he gave me some like words of encouragement, et cetera, but it was just like this still, um, you know, I still had a battle, right. Had a battle for it, you know? Um, and he knew it was like, I think, you know, part of me hoped it would at least get easier, but it, it never really, you know, did. Um, but that first year, man, that first year was like a really big accomplishment for me. It was like a big milestone for me. Um, I would end up going home that summer and I would end up dealing with the reality of my mom's stroke on the recovery aspect of it. Um, I remember flying home to Texas and uh, I remember going to the nursing home where she was at. It was, I don't even know if it was a nurse. I don't know what this place was. Um, but uh, it's funny. I get there and I like wait outside the door, you know, her, her room and I pop my head inside the, the I like, I like look through the window and I see her in there with like a helmet on, right? And I was just like, oh my God, like, what do I do? I was like, I don't want to go in there. And I think she had to get a tracheotomy too. So she looked like a completely different person than I had remembered. Um, and it's just like, you don't want to be emotional when you see her, right? Because you want to be all happy and everything. Um, and she could talk. She was coherent. Um, but stroke, what it did though was it um, it took away her ability to like, I don't know. She was like never drinking. She never swore. She never do all these things, but it like took away her filter. So she would swear. She's, you know, she would say whatever was on her mind. But, um, I just remember waiting outside that door. Like, I don't know if I can go in, but of course I did. And, uh, I was dealing with that, you know, dealing with the new normal, kind of like a lot of us post pandemic, right? This new normal, whatever they want to call it. And I was also having to deal with the the aspect of like, you know, her place and all her affairs and everything. Cause at that point, like her, um, her apartment where we live, the place I grew up, right. Obviously we couldn't keep that, but at least for that last summer, you know, I stayed there pretty much by myself while she was in a nursing home. Um, but I fucking got depressed, man. I was depressed. I ended up coming back to the Academy. Um, after spending that summer home with her, end up just fucking wanting to sleep all day, end up failing, you know, a lot of my classes that semester, that first semester I came back. Um, and that was actually, I'll tell you what though, right after I won that national championship, before I even went home to Texas, I had done an, in, I did an internship at St. Benedict's prep, which exposed me to Newark for the first time. And so I spent time in this all boys school in downtown Newark, teaching leadership to young men of color, 90% of which were black and Latino, um, that looked like me essentially. And St. Benedict's kind of felt like a haven. You know, to be honest, especially with what I was dealing with, um, just to be around these other young men. And I was a little bit older, obviously, but it was like, I felt like I could, I don't know, this place, if it just kind of felt home. It felt like what I needed. Then I go home to Texas and I'm dealing with my mom's stroke, right? So then I have to come back to the Naval Academy and go to summer school. Um, and I, f I basically flunk out of summer school. And I didn't want to go back. Like my mind wasn't right. I don't know what it was. I felt like a fucking loser. I was just struggling. And, on so many levels. And I didn't want to go back to home to Texas because home didn't even feel like home anymore. It just felt stressful. Um, and so I end up 
basically calling up the headmaster of St. Benedict's asking if I could come stay there for a few weeks. And so when I filled out a summer school that semester, that summer, I ended up coming to St. Benedict's and basically eating with the monks in the monastery and, uh, you know, end up staying on campus for like three weeks in the place that I would later take um, responsibility for, which was their residence hall. Um, but I ended up going back to the Navy after that when the school year started and had a rough semester again because now everything was catching up to me, right? All the stuff I was trying to avoid, it was just kind of causing me to freeze, right? Like I was like really struggling. I was still boxing. I was still, you know, trying, right? I mean, on the outside, it looked like everything was all right. But on the inside, I was still beat up. I had all these struggles. I was struggling. And uh, that semester, right, I ended up uh, like getting below a 2.0 and getting act boarded. And uh, luckily I have a dean, um, a frat brother, um, who basically found out that I was failing my classes and got so upset at me. And, uh, but he really just kind of leaned into me and was like, all right, bro, you got to call me every single day. And if I don't hear from you, I'm coming to get you. And literally for every day for like the next, you know, I think, you know, half the semester, I had to call him until our next grade reports came out. I forgot what the time frame was for that. But, uh, yeah, man, like it was bad. It was rough. It was rough. He made me go get counseling. Um, I had to go get counseling at like the midshipman, whatever space. Um, and meet with a therapist or whatever, um, all while trying to like freaking survive the Naval Academy, right? And all this extra pressure and stress on. Um, that year, I ended up making it to the finals again. This time though, I ended up fighting Sam Greenwood in the finals, right? Now, mind you, at this point, Sam has beat me five times, okay? And I ended up getting in there with Sam, right? And I pulling it off. In the national championship, right? Talk about, you know, overcoming adversary, adversity, adversary. Ah, talk about overcoming. I'm drawing a blank on the word adversary. Apologize if I butchered that. I'm, I know I've been on for a minute, but I end up beating Sam, winning my second national championship, right? Next year, I fight a national championship again. And with my third national championship, being Army, got most valuable boxer. Uh, once again, actually, I got most valuable box when I beat Sam. So this entire time is crazy, right? Like I end up pulling myself out of that depression. I managed to still lean heavily on boxing, right? And uh, I ended up leaning heavily with my teammates. I mean, I had amazing friends, you know, friends to this day, my brothers that really helped me get through that that time of my life. But even in the midst of like all the stuff I was dealing with personally, you know, I managed to rise above and still perform at the highest level, at least in the, in the collegiate boxing circuit, you know. Beat Sam, won, like I said, I won three national championships, two most valuable boxer awards, um, and would go on, you know, to be captain of my boxing team, which was one of my highlights of my collegiate um, experience. And I'll tell you all, you know, um, I know I kind of went through a lot of history at that point, but, you know, the entire time I'm doing these fighting and everything, like that's what I'm really kind of, you know, dealing with behind the scenes, you know? And again, boxing really was like, you know, my anchor as a, you know, it was my anchor to allow me to kind of like deal with all those realities. Um, and even when I think about, you know, what I talked about and always faithful getting relieved in Afghanistan, when I got relieved and up coming back to the States, right? I just poured back into boxing 
And I don't know if like boxing is like a religion or something for me or whatever, but I just had this epiphany of like, man, it was like, when I keep boxing close to me in my life, good things happen. And when I'm away from boxing, I feel exposed and vulnerable. Like I feel off. But when I'm like in the gym training, I'm working with kids, right? Um, I just feel like my best self, you know? Um, and that's why too, it's like why I'm so passionate about Ironbound and what led me to Newark in the first place, you know, because I credit boxing with getting me through the Naval Academy. There's no way I would have been able to handle all that emotional baggage, you know, I was dealing with, with my mom's stroke and everything, um, without it in my life, you know, um, and, you know, that trip I did to New York City when we were traveling around all these inner city gyms and I was seeing all these black and brown kids that look like me, you know, I just felt a connection to them. You know, one on top of just being black in general, right? Like, again, I say this, like, I think you're a different kind of person if you can go in a community where a bunch of people look like you and see the state in which they're living in and not feel somewhat affected by it. Um, but just the fact of like, this was this amazing sport that had literally like changed my life, had been like a rock for me in the most challenges, challenging of moments. Um, and I felt like, man, like I, I feel like this could be this, uh, this could be good for other young men and women, you know, like myself, you never know what people are, are, are dealing with, what they got going on. And so I just wanted to share it with them. And then again, you know, being in the inner city gyms, seeing the poverty, the violence, the communities, because the communities they lived in and, just being blessed with the opportunity to box on a collegiate boxing team like the Naval Academy, where at the end of the day, I was going to graduate, become an officer, and that me and my teammates would serve our country, then get out and become doctors, lawyers, start businesses, work in corporate America. That's what I wanted to bring back to the inner city, right? That's what I wanted to bring back to young black and brown kids. And that was really the core, you know, when I think about like, you know, Ironbound Boxing, all the stuff I've been doing you know, locally here um, in the city of Newark, you know? And it's crazy, right? Like, you know, when I was talking about this story now, you know, really the big one was obviously like that first national championship. And I kind of sprinted through, you know, beating Sam, um, you know, finally after losing five times, you know, and uh, really rushing through my senior year where I beat, uh, you know, I think it was West Point for the national championship. But I just got better and better. So, I mean, it was like, I mean, I was the, like the number one guy without a doubt, any chance, any time. But I do remember after I won my uh, third national championship, the Army, at Army, never lost to West Point for all you West Pointers listening. I did lose the Coast Guard, though, um, ironically. But I just remember when this, it was all said and done, I won. And I remember going again, I keep thinking about these quiet moments I had, you know, where it was just me. And uh, after, you know, all the congratulations and everything, I remember walking out the back of arena once again and just sitting in silence. And I remember crying, you know, just with the emotion. It was a lot of things. It was like, again, I was a senior year. I was going to be graduating, joining the Marines. And it was also this sense of like this sport that had done so much for me was coming to an end, right? Like I would never you know, be able to fight in the national championships at that, at that level again, you know, cause college boxing is only four years, obviously. Um, and I just remember that. 
And so it's crazy, like when you think about me, the kid that lost in front of his entire freshman class, you know, in 2006 to 2010, three-time national champion, two-time most valuable boxer, captain of my boxing team. Both times I was alone right after the fight, but this time I was like in a different, I had overcome so much, you know? And he's really like its own little hero journey. When I think about like that college experience and that experience around like, around boxing. Um, and it's surreal, right? And even still like, the story I told y'all about, you know, losing my first fight in front of my car in 30 seconds. I mean, a lot of people don't remember that stuff, right? And I shit, sometimes I forget it, you know, forget how far, you know, that I've been able to come. But, you know, I really do have this deep love with boxing, you know, and it really comes from, you know, my time um, in college. And now more than ever, right, I'm working on an audacious goal of building out a new facility for Ironbound Kids. We're calling it the Ironbound Courage Academy, which is going to be a boxing gym and incubator. And I still take fucking wins and losses, you know, as a leader of my organization, right? Like, you know, people see me as this successful entrepreneur, which I am, right? By all means, right? Like, I'm, you know, I've still got a long way to go, but we are by, we're successful. I, I, I can say that. Um, But, you know, it's always this self-doubt and second guessing yourself. And, you know, more recently, which is why it's like so timely for this story. I'd applied for a, a grant from ESPN to build out this new facility here in, in downtown Newark. Again, we're going to co-locate an incubator and a boxing gym in one location for free for the, the youth and young adults in this community because they just don't have a lot of options, right? Um, and so this facility is going to cost like $750,000 upwards. I think on on paper, it's like seven fifty. We've, I've organized like a team of architects. We've done all this kind of stuff. We put all this time and energy in to apply for this grant through ESPN. Um, and we didn't get the grant. And I found out like three weeks ago. And so I built all these assets, right? I had uh, done all this kind of stuff. We didn't get the grant. And once again, it was like, why? You know, like, I just don't, like sometimes I feel like Icarus, you know? It's like, when am I trying to fly? Am I trying to fly too high or something, you know? Um, and like, how the heck am I supposed to pull this thing off? And it goes back to the story I told y'all, you know, I was talking about my boxing experience. Like, why do I keep putting myself in these situations? You know, where the the chance for failure is extremely high, but I, it's like, I can't stop myself. But I'll tell y'all, man, um, I was at a fight this past weekend with our Ironbound boxers. And uh, we fought in uh, uh, Patterson, New Jersey. And so, you know, in my planning for this Courage Academy, I haven't been in the gym as much. You know, the pandemic has hit us. So we, our gym has been pretty much closed the entire time. So we've been boxing at hood gyms around town here and there, et cetera. But I've made a concentrated effort. I was like, I need my energy, man. I need to be back around the kids. So I've just made a habit of getting back in the gym and coaching our boxers. You know, I've got an assistant. I've got a coach, a head coach. I've got an assistant coach. Um, and I've been running mainly like administrative things, right? Running our Thrive Incubator, et cetera. But I was like, man, I'm going to get into that kind of gym. I need to start coaching again, you know? Um, because I do think there's power in like having a guy like me, like a Naval Academy guy, you know, um, you know, sermons we seek, you know, where people can see you, you know, they can interact with you. You're in there. It's not just like, oh, you're leaving it 
you know, I think that's where relationships are built, you know, how you act and how you live, you know, show them what it means to be a man of principle, a man of purpose, you know, not just this guy that's handling all the admin, but being in there in the gym and the trenches with the kids. And even though sometimes I feel overwhelmed with all the other stuff that I have to do, just kind of revisiting that core. But the reason I bring up the Patterson, New Jersey story is uh, where I'm at the fights, right? And we've got a sister gym that comes up from Allentown, PA, and we hook them up with gear. We coach each other's kids. We do all this kind of stuff. And they fought on behalf of Ironbound at this Patterson, New Jersey show. And I'm there and I see this young man. I forgot his name, right? And uh, I'm talking to him. He's 16 years old, right? And it's his first fight, right? And he's from Allentown, so he's with the Ironbound team. I think it's Luis or something right there. And uh, I'm talking to him, right? And I was like, man, how'd you start boxing? He was like, yo, you know, I just want to get out the streets, you know? So my, I told my friend what to box. He took me to a gym and I've been doing it ever since. And so, um, you know, he fights, he loses his first fight, but he was really competitive, real proud of him. And then after the fight, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm talking to him and another young guy, another boxer, young 14-year-old kid named Leon, and we're just all talking. And I'm just asking him about themselves. And I asked Leon, you know, what his parents do for a living. And Leon tells me that they're, uh, you know, they work asbestos. Uh, I guess they have their own business or something, whatever, in Allentown. And I look at this other kid, I was like, what about your parents? And he just gave me this look. And it's fucking just, he just kind of shakes his head, right? And then, so I don't, I don't press it. Like, I know, like, I can, I can tell when these things. And so, you know, later we're talking, I was just like, yo, where do you stay with? He's like, oh, he stays with his aunt. And I find out from my head coach, you know, Keith Cologne, that, you know, this kid got nothing. Literally straight from the streets. Barely he's got clothes. You know, they had to give him the trunks to fight in. They had to give him shoes. They had to give him everything. And then he sleeps on the couch, like, with his aunt, you know? And that story, the reason I share that story is like, that's why I fucking love boxing, you know, because boxing, like it, we're not going after the sure bets, you know what I'm saying? Right. Like I, boxing reaches the unreachable, you know, and there's a certain demographic of kid or young men, right. Youth and young adults that it reaches, you know? And when I think back about like the confidence it it's given me in my life, Right. I want these kids to have that same confidence and I can see it in their eyes. I can see it when they're in the ring, you know, I can see it when they look at a coach, you know, and this, this thing is like, this is, this is powerful, you know? And sometimes I got to remind myself that because as I'm starting to build this organization out, I have these grand ambitions of, you know, this Ironbound Courage Academy and all the kids we're going to be able to impact and et cetera, et cetera. At the end of the day, like we're already doing that mission. You know, boxing is delivering upon it, right? We're creating impact and we're trying to solve issues in a community that people haven't solved the issue before. Like, dudes, like these are like impossible situations, to be honest, you know, but having the resolve to still go out there each and every day and, and create opportunity for these kids, you know, that's for me, that's what it's about, you know? And I fucking love boxing, man. I love boxing. I got to remind myself that you know, all the time. I love box for all the stuff is done for me, you know, and it's funny as I sit here and I talk to you all, right. Let's even talk about like, I grew up as a kid, like not the most confident, bullied, talk like a white boy, all this other stuff. Right. But on paper, right. I sound like I look like a badass. It's crazy. Right. National boxing champion, Marine infantry officer, entrepreneur, social impact podcast host, you know, like, how the heck did all this kind of happen? 
you know? But I'll tell you, like, at its core, like, one thing that drives the persona and the personality is my experience in the ring um, and my experience in the gym and my experience creating impact with these kids. So I will always, you know, have a love and appreciation for boxing. I'm thankful for all the coaches. I'm thankful for all the kids. I'm thankful for all the athletes I've had to compete against. I'm just thankful to the sport, you know? And so I know I, I rambled a little bit in this episode, um, trying to just kind of like articulate my thoughts and create this content. Um, but you know, this is me just kind of getting vulnerable, you know, and I think this is the power of podcasting, you know, entertaining and stuff is good. And I do try to entertain y'all, but you know, when I'm dead and gone, um, and my kids come back and they want to, you know, hear my thoughts or something, um, or anybody that's interacted with me, right? Like I haven't written a book yet. So this is the closest thing I have. So me capturing these experiences and getting it in an audio format, um, for you all, uh, for myself, to be honest, selfishly, um, is very important to me because this is legacy work and at least it gives me something to build off of. So I appreciate y'all for tuning in, uh, to this. Um, and again, thank you for being part of, uh, Confessions of a Native Son. If you're listening to this podcast, you're a part of this show and, uh, I appreciate you. And if you wouldn't mind, um, just, you know, letting us know what you think, man. Just keep tuning in, share this show with other people you think can benefit from the material. And uh, I'll just look forward to creating more, more content on this platform. So until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, I don't have feel nice, man. I love your brother, black man, and chase our dreams, black man, and get that cream, black man. We the original man.